This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here. Happy Thursday to you. And I hope you're having a great day so far. A nice commute, I'm sure. Nothing better than that. I, I basically ran Le Mans today in my car through a construction site racing a Lexus. Did you win? No, that guy was crazy. He was willing to risk everything. Wow. It was pretty amazing. I, I was trying to keep up with him. I was first just trying to see who's driving this erratically. So I tried to keep up with him, the erratic driver. And I realized it's just probably a man that's missing his tea time because his Lexus was flying. Um, and it, it is amazing to me what we will do, how fast we will drive at just simply to uh, get to the next light to then wait with the rest of everybody. It's kind of a problematic thing, isn't it? So um, hope you're driving safely today. Nobody needs to get hurt. We got a big day to celebrate. Uh, it's uh, James Comey testimony day. <laughs> it's James Comey day. <laughs> but it's not it, – it already in his his statement that they've already released, Yeah, it vindicates Trump. That's what he says. Like, hey, yeah. The RNC, his lawyer. He goes, I'm I mean, good. We're moving on. You even basically said I wasn't under investigation. Yeah. I mean, half of my office and campaign staff are. Yeah. But I'm not. No. So I'm vindicated. Except for the seven, what, they had, what, five meetings and three phone calls or something? Yeah. That but... might be, be a problem. We'll but see. it was interesting. I mean, you, what did I think it is, is it just shows you that Trump is, he really has no boundaries. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's just the guy that has no boundaries. We all have a friend like that. If you say, hey, I'll give you a buck if you drink this horrible drink, he's like, okay. Yeah, he's sure. the guy that drinks it. He has no boundaries, but um, but I guess the big question, Comey, we have to get through with Comey, is is it ever going to get to the point of criminal charges? Yeah. You know, or it, something that's impeachable. It just looks inappropriate. Yeah. But I think we all already know mm. that Trump is inappropriate. Is inappropriate. <laughs> okay. I mean, he, and politics, po- politics aside, your political view aside, he just crosses all the lines. We already know that. I mean, but, the man, the but man. is there a point where you cross a line and there's no like? Oops, well, sorry. Well, I mean, I guess it would depend if you were really big into ethics. Yeah, but right. he's not, right? He didn't no. bring in the ethics guru to come in and help his staff. He didn't do that. It would cost a million dollars. Yeah. So to, why would you do that when you could just ethics training right. is expensive and you know it's all right. It's interesting that uh, in the short time that President Trump was with Comey, well, 100 days hmm. plus plus about 100 days before probably. That he could have been, you know, really talking to Comey as a leader. Right. Um, he he visited with him five times. It was hard for me to actually get a yeah, number five of that, or six, but there's there's several visits. There was dinners. Yeah. There were phone calls. There was a lot of contact. But President Obama like, had two sit downs with Comey, and one yeah. of them was when he was leaving. Right. So. In eight years, or how many years was Comey in there? Three, probably four. Yeah. Um, or two. He had he two, had two, and he had ten left, or something. So like in that, two so. years, he saw he sat down with the president uh, Obama twice. So it just shows you. I think. I mean, again, I don't whether it's criminal or not. That's what they got to figure out. What about out, the but. loyalty pledge? Well, but you know what? I need loyalty. But Matt. Th- isn't that it? Sound exactly like what he would say? Of oh, course, yeah. he would say that. And he was probably meaning it, even to like, so I need you to. Are you with me? Are you with me? 
No, but I will be honest. Well, that's, that's not, what I want. That's not the FBI director's honest job, loyalty. Right? So. Right. No, but the thing is, is again, there's no boundaries, so he'll right. ask. Right. You know what I mean? He'll just ask. It's. It's, well, well, he's not a politician, no. Matt. It's the same guy that would ask, you know, at church, the priest, you know, if he wants to go skiing on Sunday or if he wants to smoke, you know, go out for a smoke. So it's more of a time and place is what it's you're just talking about? It's just something you just don't ask. You just hmm. don't ask certain things to certain people. But he doesn't have those boundaries. We all <laughs> we all know these people. And again, I politics aside, whatever you think about him, he just is the guy that and honestly, that's probably why he's successful because he dares ask anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm having a question. Do I stick with the person that may open my body up mm. in surgery this or do good. I go to another surgeon? Right. And my discussion yesterday with somebody was like, well, it's your body and it's your death. Is the first guy jittery in any way? No, he's incredible. He's the, he's the best there okay. is. Okay. But he's really hard to get into and to mm. communicate with and he keeps creating other tests which we're going to talk about today oh nice we may be killing ourselves with all of these tests we do yeah um i i thought this topic would work oh, well with your it's, current situation it's perfect timing yeah. about how we may be causing our own cancer with all of the testing we do to prevent disease but the what i'm wondering is do i i don't want to offend my my mm. current surgeon by going with another surgeon. So now I'm worried about offending somebody. Right. Well, what would Donald Trump do? Just do it. WWDTD. That's not going to catch on. But it's yes. not. But he would just do whatever Donald Trump wants to do. He just does it. There's just no kind of moral code. No. So I wish I was Donald Trump right now because then I wouldn't be fretting about which surgeon to go with. It's just a gallbladder for crying out loud. I've watched it on YouTube five times. I can do it myself. <laughs> Just give you I could do it on myself. Eye. No, let's not go there. All right. So today we're going to be uh, talking Comey, of course. We'll, we'll also be getting to um, are we giving ourselves cancer? Are we over-testing, especially when it comes to CT scans, anything involving radi- uh, radiation? Um, by the way, I've had a CT scan, and I am a firm believer. If one of the things they tell you when you're having a CT scan is you may feel like you're, you're wetting yourself. Oh, wow. They said that to me, and I'm wow. like, Bruh. Wow, thank you. Okay. If that's one of the uh, possible problems with the scan, then yeah, we probably shouldn't be doing those. Mm. Um, so we'll get to that in a bit, as well as some empty news. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country? Montana Representative-elect Greg Gianforte on Wednesday apologized to the reporter he acu- he's accused of body slamming and said he would donate $50,000 to the committee to protect journalists. The night before the special election for Montana's lone seat in the U.S. House of Representatives, Gianforte allegedly body-slammed Guardian reporter Ben Jacobs and was charged with misdemeanor assault. My physical response to your legitimate question was unprofessional, unacceptable, and unlawful, Gianforte wrote in a letter to Jacobs, adding, I had no right to respond the way I did to your legitimate question about health care policy. You were doing your job. Despite the negative press coverage stemming from the alleged assault, uh, Gianforte defeated his Democratic rival and the next day and was soon will head to Washington to serve in the House. Mm. So, sorry. So I will pay for the protect the, the community for the protection of journalists. Right. Or whatever that is. He's giving he, him a donation. Okay. He apologized directly to the guy. Why not just give the guy some money? Eh. Let me just, I'm sorry. Here's for your concussion. Reporter will be okay. Yeah. Um, after sifting through a, re- a record 18,300 applications, NSA, or NASA, not the NSA, oh, but wow. NASA announced its 12 newest astronauts 
At a ceremony Wednesday in Houston, Vice President Mike Pence attended, hailing the new astronauts as American heroes in a speech. NASA's 2017 class of five women, seven men include a surgeon, an oceanographic engineer, mm. an electrical engineering professor, a SpaceX senior manager, a physician, a nuclear engineer, two geologists, four veteran pi- test pilots, because you've got to be able to fly. Oh, yeah. And they're test pilots, so they're willing to fly something that may not fly. <laughs> yeah. So that, that you need that to, to be eligible. Applicants had to meet some physical requirements as well as certain educational experience criteria, such as having a bachelor's degree in a STEM field or accumulating up to 1,000 hours of pilot. I don't think they need a communication degree holder. Darn it. So we were kind of not going to be... Darn it. I'm they a doctor. They don't need, need any other doctors? No, not that type okay. of doctor. Maybe there's a so marriage problem. Before their chosen applicants are actually assigned to space missions, they'll have to complete two years of training at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. Are they heroes yet, really? I think that might have been premature. Okay, we yeah. all get yeah, the yeah, idea. Yeah. They're, they're potential heroes. Yeah. That's good. That's right. Following his team's third straight loss to the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals, an exasperated LeBron James said Wednesday night that his rivals possess probably the most firepower I've ever played wow. in my career. James and his Cleveland Cavaliers fell again in a 118-113 loss to the Warriors. Now one win away from the championship. The Cavs led by six with three minutes and nine seconds left in the game before the Warriors went on a 11 nothing run, which included LeBron James turning the ball over a couple times, yeah. stepping out of bounds, looking really mad at the fact that he can't play oh. basketball for those uh, three minutes. Uh, he goes, I said it after we won the Eastern Conference Finals that we were, we were getting ready for a juggernaut. He goes, I played against some great teams, but I don't think... Uh, no team has had this much type of firepower ever before. Wow, game that's four, a good compliment. Game four, nine Eastern Friday, where the Warriors will probably win. <clears throat> yeah, and by the way, if they win, sweep. Oh yeah, first time in the history of the NBA a complete sweep through the They've, championship. Well, the Warriors have 15 playoff wins in a row. Yeah. every game over 100 points. And it's the first time it's happened in any major sport. I mean, the 1991-92 Penguins swept for a while. The um, Penguin? The hockey? In hockey, yeah. But wow. this is the first time in Bad. any major sport that anyone's swept this many games in a row. It's amazing. And finally, Sharice Wright, a quarterback who joined the Buffalo Bills from the Baltimore Ravens this offseason. Uh, he had to get to practice. Yeah. He posted on Twitter Tuesday the details of an Uber trip he took from Chicago's O'Hare Airport to the Buffalo Bills uh, training camp in Orchard Park, New York, Sunday. Wright needed to get to his first OTA, which is called – it's an organized team activity, right? So you have to be there. Which are supposed to be optional, but they're oh, really not. You better be there. You're a rookie. Yeah. Well he's, well, he's a rookie on the team. Oh, on the team. Okay. But everyone needs to be there. Yeah, yeah. It's optional, but not optional. One of those <laughs> things. The drive, which uh, in current traffic would span about 543 miles. Oh, wow. Take up almost nine hours. It cost right $632 plus a $300 tip. He says, my flight ended up getting in late, so I wasn't able to make my connecting flight. Uh, Wright said, who added he didn't rent a car because he wanted to sleep before practice. He was, I called one of my ex-teammates that lives in Chicago. He wasn't able to help me, so I thought Uber would be a good option. Apparently, this wasn't a big deal for the driver. The guy accepted the ride. I called him right away and told him, man, I need to get to Buffalo. That's eight hours. Are you willing to take me there? Wow. And he said, yeah, no problem. I'll I take you where you need to go. On. So uh, the guy jumped in the car, and he said, I had to be there by 7 a.m., and they made it. Holy cow. But I assume he slept. The guy was, yeah, the player backseat of the car sleeping, but yeah, it just. 
Nine hour trip. Oh, bro. How much do you normally tip your Uber driver, Matt? Um, I, you know, I'm not a big tipper in the Uber. Yeah. I don't know. I've never taken an Uber. Do- doesn't get up to three hundred normally. No, I usually I have a I have car shuttle car service. Now Lyft. I only go with cars. Lyft the in their app, it you can the tips right there in the app. You just okay. You know, it's three bucks, whatever, yeah. right? Whereas an Uber, you have to have that awkward situation of I don't have any cash. Dude, let me hook That's you why up. I used Uber because like, you put my credit That's card right. into the app, so now I need cash. Well, to, uh... but now this Uber driver has a great story, a pro, yeah. a pro football player, and probably a ticket. He'll give him a ticket to a game. Come on. come. I'll give you a ticket to one of the games. Just yeah. drive back up. It's, the, bu- it's the Buffalo Bills, though. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Hey, uh, you so, just want to knock out. So do you think LeBron's down after the game? Yeah. Okay, well. <laughs> he was not happy after he, the game. He needs night. to just sit back and relax because one of the Cavalier fans created something that is beautiful really? for him. A gift. Wow. It's um, – she somehow collected 30 pounds of dryer lint mm. and then sculpted it into okay. uh, an, a, a kind of an image uh-huh. of LeBron James. And it's called Lint Braun James. And she colored the lint. That actually looks a lot better than I thought it was. It looks like, like and I think it's almost even life size. Yeah. I mean, it's a bust, but it looks pretty close to lint brawn. And it um, almost looks like a cake. Yeah. It totally, well, it's a cake of lint. But. Yeah. She didn't get a tattoo like other people do, like of right. LeBron, but she got uh, she got something even better. Big pile of lint. A big pile of lint. Why was lint the medium she chose to express well, her art through? Well, because Sandy Buffy is also known as the lint lady. Okay. And uh, you know, she she's done one. Um, she did one earlier with uh, the headband with uh, LeBron wearing a headband. Remember back in so the day. So there's a series of LeBron yeah. pieces. Lint, wow. bron- lint bronze. Lint bronze. Yeah, they're called Sandy Buffy designs, and I, I bet for a good price. LLC. LLC. <laughs> I'll bet you for a good price, she would gather, you know, 30, 40 pounds of lint. If you bring your own lint, it's cheaper for her to do a bust for you. Wow. Do you think she wears gloves? Oh, I bet. <laughs> Wouldn't you? But, I mean, it, it actually looks heavy, but it can't no. be that heavy because no, it's, 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 I mean, it's still 30 pounds, but it's right. still lint. So, you imagine 30 pounds of lint? That is a lot of lint. That's some dense lint. I mean, how long do you have to clean your dryer? You know, well, I guess that... it depends how often you dry, close. You know what you're putting through there. Wow. You know, if you put a lot of flannel, flannel shirts, you know, you're, it'll probably you can get your thirty pounds fast. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, they say flannel always puts pounds on you. Does it really? Yeah, and it takes it off in the dryer. That's good to know. Good to know. So, LeBron, Lint, Braun, relax. Lint, Braun. You'll you'll do better tomorrow. Hey, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about. Uh, are you giving yourself cancer? Is all of the medical, um, you know, evaluations, all of the testing that you do to make sure you're healthy, is it causing more problems for us? Well, we'll be talking with a doctor that uh, is making the argument, absolutely. We probably ought to radiate a lot less. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as we are trying to get uh, our next guest on the line, one of the things I've been going through, and I've talked about it on the show two or three or 50 times, 
I have a little gallbladder issue, and uh, you know, every time I eat fatty food, it just blows up. And for me, that seems like all the tests you need, right? Just give me a bag of Cheetos, and I will show you one of my uh, one of my organs or innards uh, doing a dance that uh, is very painful. It seems like we could test it forever, but when it meets a certain amount of criteria, it it, it seems like it's time to fix it, right? But one of the things I'm learning just um, going through this process of the gallbladder issue is the fact that a lot of our um, – I mean, and I've been going to one basic uh, health management organization, one health care unit that you would think would be able to communicate fairly effectively between the doctors. And in some ways they can, but in other ways they can't. So since I've uh, had the little problem and actually hospitalized a day or two for it um, to then going through tests, I've seen at least six different doctors, six doctors, and I've had about four tests plus uh, about 10 blood tests, right? And the funny thing is the doctors aren't necessarily talking. They don't – it's not like they call. I mean, sometimes they do, but they communicate a little bit. But a lot of the communication is done through the patient. And a lot of times you don't even know why you're going where you're going. I ended up picking a surgeon, for example, a wonderful surgeon, except I found out just recently that the surgeon I'm working with is a cancer surgeon that is really more known to just do cancer So when I go in there without cancer, he's looking at me as if I have cancer, and he's asking me questions as if I have cancer, and he's trying to deal with me as if I have cancer. So then all of a sudden, you can see why he would want a bunch of other tests. I've had doctors look at me like, so why are you having this test? And I'm like, well, my surgeon said they won't operate until we do the test. And he's like, but you don't even have cancer. No, I don't. But okay, well, all right, let's just keep trying. So then all of a sudden, we we start taking more and more tests. And some of these tests, um, as our uh, as our uh, guest, uh, Rita Redberg, um, shares in a Time, a New York Times article, it may be giving us cancer. So how do we get a, a meaningful diagnosis and not overcomplicate our lives and actually take more tests that actually may cause cancer? It's a crazy little tangled web we lead. Cancer is currently the second leading cause of death for Americans, second only to heart disease. And the number of lives cancer takes is increasing every year. Our guest, Dr. Rita Redberg, is with us. She is here to explain how we may be giving ourselves cancer from all of this over-testing. Dr. Rita Redberg, thank you again for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Glad to be here. Is Talk about, uh, talk about your your theory here. And I mean, the reality is something like a CT scan, uh, which is a, which I just had recently for my gallbladder, it, it's a pretty common test. And yet it, 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 it throws radiation at you and it's a, it's a possible cancer causer. That's right. All of those are true. Um, when we wrote that op-ed in the New York Times now three years ago, it was because we were concerned about the increasing number of CT scans, and that number has only continued to climb because CT scans are so common now you know, in most emergency rooms. And certainly there are times 
when it's absolutely the right thing to do. But the concern is that there's also a lot of unnecessary CT scans, meaning that you didn't probably need any kind of imaging or there are times when you could have had a test that did not involve radiation. What are there, is is a CT scan the only type of scan you're worried about uh, that, that could cause cancer or are there other things we're doing as well that are just as dangerous? Well, only the ones that are, have radiation are the ones we worry about for causing cancer, and CT scans are the most common among those. But there are other tests that have radiation, like there's a myocardial perfusion imaging, nuclear imaging that people get as part of a stress test sometimes if you're getting worked up for heart disease. And similarly, PET scans also have um, radiation. The oh. ultrasound-based imaging tests don't. And x-rays have radiation, but not nearly as much as CT scans. CT scans have a much higher dose per um, I noticed. I noticed on my. X-rays. I noticed on my latest CT scan, uh, there is actually, as part of the write-up of uh, kind of the results they find, that they also put the dosage of radiation that is delivered. I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. you're getting a dose of radiation. And I mean, there are nuclear experts, right? Part of being yeah. a radiologist is understanding the radiation side. Absolutely. And it's great that your center did that. I'm not sure. Um, was, did, was that meaningful to you? Not to number? me at all. But, I'm, yeah. but, but it did make me look yeah. at it. And I thought, holy cow, I didn't even think of that. I didn't yeah. think that I was just nuked. But uh, well, maybe that's something we need to be, as a as a consumer, as a patient, we, we maybe we need to be a lot more concerned about these tests than we are. Well, right, and that's supposed to be part of the discussion. Like, did someone talk to you about yeah. the radiation dose before the test and talk to you about the cancer risk? And- yeah, but one of the things that, the, that, that they do, um, Rita, and it's a little, um, I mean, by the time they're kind of having you sign the waiver and talking to you about it, you're pretty much already strapped in for the ride. And mm-hmm. and some of this is I, I'm I was sitting there and I don't, I don't think you were able to hear what I was saying earlier. I was going to get this test um, because a doctor that just happened to be the surgeon that I was referred to is a, is a cancer surgeon. <laughs> And um, he just happened to be in the office of another surgeon I was going to, and that's who they referred me to because my other surgeon wasn't available. So um, all of a sudden, a person without cancer is going to a cancer specialist, and then the cancer surgeon is sending me to get what I think is extra tests. And mm-hmm. um, and then, but what I was doing is just trying to follow the advice of my uh, my doctor. So. Part of this is, are the doctors doing more CT scans because they're trying to cover themselves? What's, what is it that's causing them to over-prescribe or to pre- prescribe so many CT scans that maybe aren't necessary? Um, so that's a great question, and there are a lot of different reasons. And I think you kind of alluded to one of them. You know, probably a cancer doctor is used to looking for cancers and I think in general in the last 20 years, you know, we have tremendously increased the amount of testing that we do, and CT scans is very high on the list of, in terms of increased testing. And some of that is just because we have new technology, as maybe you saw the pictures that are generated are yeah. very nice images, you know, and some of it we can, so we do. Um, some of it is, yeah, it could be that people are trying to cover themselves, they're you know, very 
little discussion of the downside of an additional test. Um, we also, we have a fee-for-service system. People buy very expensive CT scans, and the more they're used, the more income is generated. Most people are not paying much out of pocket for CT scans, so very few patients ask about the cost. But we weren't, it, it wasn't the cost that we were concerned with in this article, it was the cancer risk. Yeah. But, but if you talk about why are they increased, you know, some of that, I think some of the reason that in the U.S. we have by far the highest intensity of technology use and imaging use is because we have a fee-for-service system and these tests are reimbursed very well. But some of it is also that we like technology and we feel that uh, you know, a little extra imaging is always good for you and yeah. that you don't need to. I mean, it's like... It's like a blood test. Like one more blood test doesn't seem to worry me. Even the stick. Okay, so I'll get I'll get stuck. But um, but radiation should probably worry us more. Does does an MRI have um, radiation? Um, an MRI does not have radiation. No. So here's here's a crazy question. Um, it seems to me that MRIs are more expensive of a test than a CT scan. Is that true? I think they may be slightly more expensive. I mean, I'm not, it depends a little. There's a lot of variability in reimbursement and cost. They're both not cheap tests. Right. It may be more expensive. But MRIs are in some ways not as convenient on either end. You know, an MRI, if you've ever had one, you're sitting in that scanner usually for at least an hour, very noisy, where the CT scan is. I'm sure you know you're kind yeah. of in and out in a few minutes. So. I mean, MRI certainly gives very good images. Is it? And I guess ultrasound what, gives very good images. Yeah, but uh, but CT scans are, I think, popular because they're fast. What would you? Uh, I guess because one, one reason I was thinking that is is are we making? Because one thing about an MRI is, in many cases, it seems to give really good images of certain things. And I guess you got to pick your tool. CT scans might do better in some things. Ultrasound better in other things. MRIs. Um, is it? I, I guess what, what I'm what I what I want to know is these decisions. I just want to make sure they're not being made just financially. Um, if it's cheaper to put somebody in a CT scan than it is a, uh, and you know your reimbursement might be easier and better and even more convenient, are we just putting somebody through CT when we could just as easily put them through an MRI, which might be a little more, a little longer, but less radiation, a little healthier. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, those are all good questions and ones that anyone who's recommended to have a CT scan should have a discussion of. You know, I think the threshold question is, why do I need any any image? You know, what are we going to learn from this test? How will it make a difference in my diagnosis? You know, what are the consequences if I don't have a test and we just wait? Like, I mean, because a lot of these things are done for various kinds of pains that may or may not resolve on their own. I mean, that, that's a more complicated discussion. But the threshold question for any testing is, did I need the test? And is do that I the question we should be person? asking, right? That's what I should be asking my doctor is explain to me why this is worth the risk. Right. And I think that's true for any test. I mean, CT scans, because they tend to be used so commonly now and because there is a lot of radiation, are one of the prime examples of that. But it's true for most tests. As long as you're not in an emergency life and death situation, it's, you certainly want to 
ask your doctor, you know, why are you suggesting this test? What are we going to learn? And what are the alternatives? How much of this, too, is just the doctors in the medical world? I, I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, there's conferences held that they update the latest, you know, radiation dosages and, um, you know, how to calibrate. I mean, I'm assuming some of these machines have to be calibrated regularly and you miss a calibration and could it be a little bit off? How much of this is just uh, the, the doctors being up to date on the latest? Well, that's another good question because after you've gotten past the threshold of do I need the CT scan, then the question, and, and should it be a CT, and as you said, not an MRI or an ultrasound or some other imaging that doesn't have radiation, then the question is, are you doing it with the best technique and at the lowest dose? Because um, in the journal that I'm the chief editor for, JAM Internal Medicine, we published a study a few years ago that showed there was a wide range for the exact same CT scan, depending on where you went and mm. who was doing your study. There was a 30-fold difference in the amount of radiation you were getting. Wow. That's crazy, fact, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, in uh, June's issue of GEM Internal Medicine, we published another study on optimizing radiation doses for C- CT scans. And by doing a kind of multi-center learning cooperative, Senders share best practices on how to reduce CT doses. But, you know, that takes uh, some effort and work and attention and people asking about, am I getting the lowest dose possible? Yeah. Is there, is there, I mean, can you give us over the air right now the standard, the dose we should have? Is there so, a again, standard? It, I guess it, 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 depend, it depends on the test you're having. Yeah. Right, there's, you know, is it, is it a chest, is it abdomen, is it a head CT, how much is being scanned? Um, there's so many questions. So, I mean, there are effective ranges, but it would be hard to get yeah. that right now over the phone. What, what if, um, so what if you know in your life you're somebody who's maybe had three, four, five CT scans already in your life? Uh, what should you be doing now? How, what do you do going forward? Well, again, you know, I think for anyone, whether you've had zero or whether you've had three or four, you don't want to have a CT scan unless you're assured that the benefits are going to outweigh the risks. But you're right, certainly as it is cumulative over a lifetime in terms of radiation dose and cancer risk, it is good to be even more cautious if you have had three or four scans. And then I think, again, you need to have the conversation, what if I don't get this test, you know? Can we, is, can we go forward? Is it safe to wait? Is it safe to use an alternative test without radiation? And then if you've decided that oh, the CT scan is necessary, then you have the discussion on using the lowest radiation dose possible. Yeah. Is, um, I guess, so, so the advice I'm hearing really is be informed, understand it, it is a risk, it is a cancer risk, and uh, Make sure you're better educated on it. Push a little bit more on the doctor to explain clearly why we need it. Are there other alternatives that would be safer, even if they're a little more uh, inconvenient? Is that an option? Anything else we need to know uh, just about our own health and and making sure that we're not creating the problems for ourselves? Well, the other thing I wanted to mention, the groups that are at highest risk for radiation are um, children. You know, and we know CT scans are increasing in people under 18. And in people under 18, 
the risk is higher. And, and those are ones I would be especially careful about. We also know that women in general have a slightly higher cancer risk from radiation than men. And mm. the cancers that um, are secondary to radiation risk are, take about 10 or 20 years to emerge. And so it's less of a concern for someone who would have a life expectancy of less than 10 or 20 years than it is for younger people. Is and, and, and the correlation is, I guess, there, there's an increased risk. What, what, how much greater of a risk is it of getting cancer if you've, if you've been through CT scans? So again, it depends on your age and sex and how much of a, a dose you got. But it's estimated, again, in an article that uh, we referred to in that op-ed and that we published, that in the CT scans that were done in 2007 alone, so that was just one year and 10 years ago, so we know more are being done now, there will be 29,000 excess cancer cases and 14,500 excess deaths mm. over the lifetime of those exposed. And that was a National Cancer Institute study. Wow. So we're talking about a lot of extra cancer and extra death in this country because of our overuse of CT scanning. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, uh, great insights for us. Dr. Rita Redberg, thank you so much for your time and uh, your work, I think, on such an important topic for all of us. And we need to get on our own plan here. We've got to figure out a way, folks, to just not keep getting scanned. There's got to be other ways to uh, protect ourselves and, and just be more informed, push back a little bit more, own your process uh, and your 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 own your own passage through the healthcare system. Take a little bit more charge of it. Don't just uh, always believe everything you're hearing um, from the medical professionals or even just, hey, this is the test you got to have. Let's take a break. We'll come right back. When we come back, we'll be talking about Father's Day, five meaningful ways to celebrate dads on Father's Day, giving you a little heads up. I mean, you still got a week and a half or so, but uh, get ready, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. And uh, happy day to you. With Father's Day coming up uh, soon, uh, you still have a little time. So don't worry. It's not this Sunday, but it will be the next Sunday. So you got to get ready for it. And uh, one of the reasons I, I bring this up because I am a father and I don't want you, you know, I want your, I want you prepared. I'm, so I'm kind of sending this out to my kids. Uh, get prepared. There's a lot of gifts you can give your dad on Father's Day. Some of them may actually, you know, last longer than just the weekend. I think a lot of times we look at this, at least Father's Day is, you know, the obligatory, well, we have a Mother's Day and we know why we do that because they're so amazing, incredible. But fathers, we just love you, dad. Just let me get you some, here's a candy bar. You're good. Uh, So instead of kind of playing it down or instead of having to go blow it up by getting your dad three ties, Why don't we try something a little bit different? So I wanted to come up with five meaningful ways that you could go celebrate with your father on Father's Day. And uh, something special, maybe. 
something that shows that you actually thought it through, maybe put a little time into this thing. So here are five ideas for you. Number one, take a walk down memory, memory, memory lane. What if you could just, you know, go sit down with dad and start sharing some of your favorite memories before you go see him, maybe make a list of your top 10 favorite dad memories. Um, and just a bunch of really cool things that you remember that he did, things that he said, things that stand out. Be very specific, I suggest, because, you know, you don't want to just say you're great. I remember you did the funniest things in the morning. Be specific. What do you remember specifically he did at breakfast? Maybe you might remember he made those really great breakfasts every Sunday or every Saturday or those phrases that he would use that uh, only dads use. You know, and uh, the things maybe that made you laugh a lot or the important lessons that you were taught. Anyway, be specific and take your dad down a walk down memory lane with you. I promise if you can come up with 10 ideas and then go find the time to, to spend the time talking to him, that will be so much more valuable than the tie. That will be so much more valuable than the golf balls you give him or you know, the gift certificate, you know, spend some time with them. Make sure, too, that you don't turn the the walk down memory lane into a roast. A lot of times, you know, dads do dumb things and you, you talk about a lot of the dumb things, but it might be great that along with the walk down memory lane, you share some of the really cool things as well. So a walk down memory lane is one. Another thing is just simply... Make the time. Give the gift of time together. Nothing shows that you care uh, about another person more than undivided time and attention, especially in our day and age when we tie, we put time as such a premium. In fact, next hour we're going to be uh, reviewing a, an interview we did about why we actually value time more than money. And so if you actually do value time more than money, then why don't you give dad some time? Call him right now this week. And make an appointment to take your dad out to lunch next week for Father's Day. Or show up at his office and bring him in lunch. And you can sit down. And as you're bringing him in lunch, that's a perfect place to talk about all of your memories. Walk down memory lane with him. Invite him to come over to have lunch with you and the kids. Maybe make a special meal for him on Saturday before Father's Day. Have him come over and eat with the whole family. Take him uh, you know, out to play a game with your kids or your family. Invite him over for Sunday dinner and and maybe suggest you do it all year round. Dad, we want you and mom to come over for dinner. Your present is dinner with us once a month on a Sunday for the next year. Come on over and bring dessert. They'll be there. It'll be worth it to them. Also, when dad shows up or when you're at your parents' house, uh, turn off the technology. Truly be present with your father. Don't answer your phone. Turn it to silent mode. Give him a full hour, a full however long you're there, uh, time of devoted attention. Another little thing you could do is what I call discuss the hand-me-downs. The hand-me-downs are everything that uh, all of the strengths, the positive traits that you see in your dad. Maybe the things that you, you feel like dad handed down to you. And you, we all have those moments as adults where we start sounding like our parents We start making comments like, don't make me pull over. Well, what would happen if you could identify five, six, seven of your dad's greatest traits or even just pretty good traits that he handed down to you? 
Perhaps he handed down, you know, a, a work ethic. And you could go back and thank him for his work ethic. You could, maybe he handed down just a certain way that he eats his cookies. You know, maybe he dips his Oreos in the milk a certain way. Is that what he handed down to you? And talk about these things that you're grateful that he gave you and things that you will always remember him by. I had a wonderful uh, experience with my grandfather-in-law as he was um, dying and and, uh, passing away. We had a great discussion. And one of the things we were talking about is he says, you know, Matt, it's kind of it's worrisome because you just don't know if anyone's going to remember you when you're gone. And I'm like, are you kidding me? There's so many things we're going to remember. And that's where I was able to, like, do the hand-me-downs, everything he's handed down to us, even the namesake where one of our children are named after him. So powerful things that we can hand off to our parents now when they're alive, when they're healthy. Another little uh, thing you can give your dad for Father's Day is discuss his superpowers. These are his extra amazing, incredible traits, the things that – you know everybody else reveres in him the things that you think put him aside and and help you know put him to a different level in your eyes the traits the qualities the gifts you admire most in your dad and that have qualified him to be your superhero then talk about these powers these traits maybe it's his integrity maybe it's his compassion his love of others his creativity find his greatest strengths and talents and hold them up as a mirror. Remember, Aristotle said we are a mirror to everyone else, right? And so we can mirror back to our father uh, during this Father's Day how, how they're our superhero. Again, you, you have the time now. You have the energy now, the ideas now. Don't wait to just give a great eulogy at your father's f- funeral. What if we could figure out a way now to tell them what we feel about them? By the way, the superhero uh, idea would be a great one to do in front of your kids. When you have him over at dinner, talk to him about what a great hero he is. And literally, hold it up so your kids can see those great traits. Model for your children how we treat our, our elders. And um, help them see that these gifts are going to be coming down because dad is handing these great traits down. And tell your kids uh, why your dad is a superhero. You, even if you don't necessarily feel like uh, he's always been there and he's been perfect for you, there's still things that he's given you, things, lessons he's taught you. And uh, those would be valuable to share. Finally, uh, uh, one of the great gifts I think we could always give anybody anytime is just a true, sincere thank you. Many times parents don't ever hear thank you. You know, unless your son plays in the NFL and, you know, they scan the bench and your son yells, hey, mom, thanks. A lot of times we don't get a a sincere thank you. So maybe this season when you're handing him your gift card, give him a big fat hug and a thank you and be very specific. Thank him for what? Thanks for sitting on the sidelines. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for putting out the money that you put out. Thanks for giving the time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. One thing you could do is make a list of 10 things you're sincerely grateful for about your dad and uh, put it in a card and make it part of the card and then or share it with him. I think a lot of dads might rather hear it than just read it. Some would rather read it than have the embarrassing moment. But five very simple ways to take care of your dad 
on Father's Day, take a walk down memory lane, discuss all of his hand-me-downs, discuss his superpowers, why he's your superhero, give him the gift of time, and truly thank him. You only have so much time with these incredible people, and a lot of times we don't uh, we take it we do take it for granted. That's uh, that's your little uh, coach's corner for the day. Let's take a break. We'll come back. When we come back, we're discussing: Are we getting too sensitive about uh, terrorism? We can't even call it that anymore. Stick with us. So apparently, Back to the Future is uh, it's being what's it being edited? It's, yeah, I mean it's already edited for TV because yeah. if you watch like the original, as a kid, my neighbors would count like how many like swear words were in that movie, and it's just a huge <laughs> amount of swear words. And if you watch it edited, they try to clean some of that up. And sure. you know, the TV edits of movies get criticized, but at the same time, it kind of makes it so they're more family friendly. And you know, so there's pluses and minuses. Well, on T- the TBS, the cable network, they aired Back to the Future within the last couple weeks, and someone noticed that certain word was taken out. Really? And it was the word terrorist. Hold on, terrorist is a swear word. I don't know if it's a swear word, but for some reason they decided to go through this this effort to edit out that word. If you remember, there's a defining scene that drove the pilot of the plot of the film where uh, a Libyan terrorist shoot Doc Brown for refusing to build them an atomic bomb. He used the uh, the material he got from them to build the DeLorean so that he could oh, you know yeah. function and and go back in time and make a time machine. He instead gave them a ca- uh, a casing filled with used pinball machine parts. Was the line from the movie right? And there's a point where Marty is at the mall, and he's ready to get into the DeLorean, and he's he's ready to he's talking with Doc Brown, and Doc Brown looks off in the distance, and he goes, "What is it?" He goes, "It's the Libyans, run, Marty!" And Marty jumps in the car and goes back and the Libyans goes back in time. Well, and then when he's back in time, he's sitting at the diner, and he writes a letter to Doc Brown. He goes, "On the night that I go back in time." Libyan terrorist. Now, here's a photo of the letter he's writing. Oh wow! On the one side, you see there's a uh, there's a blank spot. Yeah, <gasps> and the word terrorist has been removed they have from the movie. Digitally removed that from the movie. They also went so far in the movie as to change some camera angles so whenever they said the word terrorist, you didn't see them. And Are you serious? So they went so far as to really try to. Not completely because you can't because it's in the movie, but that's... to try to just limit where that word is and how that's used. Um, it says if you play close attention, you not only hear the word terrorist has been completely removed, but they also change the angle of the camera so as not to pick up the word terrorist from the letter that McFly is writing. Unbelievable. So that they – I guess they're doing that because they – are they trying to just say back in the 90s? When was when did Back to the Future come out? 1985. 85. Back in 85, we didn't have Libyan terrorism, uh, fear and terror locally. No, they were more – it was, it was, so it was just a thing that to, happened over there. Are they just afraid of using the word terrorism? I don't know. But it seems like it's a little much. Because we do have terrors, terrorists right. here. And so it actually seems more fitting. It seems like more believable. I mean, yeah. the shoes and the hoverboard never seem believable. No. But now with the terrorist thing, that makes it believable. And the DeLorean, of course. Right. Huh. Interesting. Censoring, I guess. 
Wow. So, or sensitivity. So the, the, it's a little too far, I think. It might be a yeah. A I lot mean, there's plenty far. of things in that movie that you probably need to right. alter. But well, the not relationship that. between Biff and his mom, or whatever. I mean, oh no, him and his mom. His mom had a crush on him when he went back in time, didn't he? Didn't she? Yeah, it all got mixed yeah. up. So, That's I mean, why you don't mess with time. Stuff Matt. like that was don't creepier than the terrorist thing. Okay, interesting. Well, we'll have to ask Jeff Simpson about that. He's our movie expert. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Dr. Matt here. Welcome to the program. Hope you're having a great morning. Uh, It's happening. FBI Director Comey is now in the hot seat as... uh, your Congress is, our senators are now drilling him and trying to figure out whatever they can deep. They're, they're getting deep into his psyche to find out what Donald Trump did to him that made him hide in the curtains at a, at a meeting once. He was trying to blend in. He was just trying to blend in with the blue curtains. Luckily, he was wearing a blue suit. I bet he's 6'8". Can we all remember um, there was a lot of talk about how much press Donald Trump was getting during the election? Yes. And how uh, all the cable networks, all the media, they were they basically gave him what was it like 10 to 1 coverage over every other candidate. And amazingly, he now gets 10 to 1 coverage as they're trying to I mean, they're having a heyday. They have Wolf Blitzer at the Capitol. With Wolf's in the wild, yes. Wolf is <laughs> the Wolf is in the wild, and they're loving this. This is this is doing so well for ratings, and yet they're also seemingly disgusted by President Trump. He exhausts them. Yes. In fact, even Jake Tapper is getting beat up for things he said on foreign soil about the U.S. president while he was out of the country. Oh, it's like it's crazy. It's crazy thing. So. Here they are, and uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, he may live tweet, and apparently if he live tweets, certain bars are going to give alcoholic beverages every time he live tweets. What is happening to this? It's turning into a circus. By the way, speaking of a circus, um, we're going to be talking uh, about a story coming up on the Empty News segment about judge denies accused man's request to to juggle during trial. Yes. You're not turning this trial into a circus. He was trying to showcase specific talents related to the case. Yeah. We'll talk about that, plus some thieves that uh, steal some very bizarre things uh, when they're breaking into apartment buildings. Kind of strange. And we're celebrating Donald Duck Day. Donald Mm. Duck, our good little friend. Donald first appeared to us in 1934 in a film called The Wise Little Hen. I believe I've seen that. I've always liked Donald because of his little his, – his apparel. I think he's one of the best-dressed ducks in television. I think he has a positive uh, attitude that helps everyone around him grow as a person. Wow. He's cooperative. He is. He, he, he doesn't, he's friendly. He doesn't just fight just to fight. Yeah. He, he, he has certain concerns and he wants them heard. I think he, he has that lisp or whatever we call it. He's uh, articulate. Is he? Another... <laughs> he's uh, – Articulate? I mean... I want to hear your best Donald Duck impression. 
I can't. I can't do Donald. At because all. I did I a lot of research for this. Did you? And I wanted to get a good clip of him talking. And I realized the more I was listening to these old Donald Duck cartoons that I didn't understand a single word that he did had he, ever said. But he's pretty mm, spitty. Ever. He's spitty when he talks. He is. But I think that's great because if you were a kid that was a little spitty when you talk, you're like, okay, I have somebody I can look up to. Right. But it's not the same spitty as Daffy Duck. This is Donald Duck Day. Yeah, Donald. It's Daffy's just spitty. Daffy really is just spitty. Donald's just, yeah, he's just got something. I think it's his tongue. Or lack of. Yeah. Because he's a duck. He's a duck. It's his soft palate. Is that what it is? Do ducks have a soft palate? Not sure. I'm a little behind on my duck anatomy. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Uh, Also today we're going to be talking about why we value time over money. What is it about, you know, that would you rather have another day's pay or a day off? I mean, I know I'd I'd rather have a day off. I'd rather have five days off. About to get your wish. Oh. Oh, wow. That was scary. That was threatening. That seemed ominous. I've had this discussion with management. Have you? Yeah. See? They're like, take a day, and I'm all, eh, why? What's the big, what's the, I don't need more time. You'd rather have money. You money grubbing. Well, I kind of get both with my schedule, so I'm good. Yeah, you got the perfect balance. You got the perfect balance. Like, yeah, yeah, I was trying to get you to. I want you guys to take more time. You have babies. You have cute little babies. They're fun. I see them plenty. <laughs> I terrorize them. They're great. Yeah. Plus, the youngest is too young to hit with a noodle. With a pool noodle. No, you can do that. She finds it quite funny. Oh, boy. Don't say that over the radio. Why? It's a pool noodle. It doesn't hurt. Tell that to DCFS. They're fine. Okay. So we'll get to all that fun straight ahead. Um, plus, uh, of course, the headlines, the local headline or the national headlines, which, of course, is going to include James Comey from nope. the FBI. It's not. Oh, good. I figured we'd talk about Save that us. enough without me having to waste Save any us. time. Okay, Terry, what else do we have to worry about? Reality winner. You know who this is, Matt? No. Reality winner, the government contractor who stands accused of leaking top secret NSA documents about oh, Russian yeah. hacking to journalists was... Will plead not guilty, her lawyer told NPR. Her attorney added that Winter uh, hopes to be released Thursday on bond. The document was published on Monday by The Intercept, and investigators said they tracked down Winter as the leaker. Uh, Nichols, the uh, lawyer, did not confirm whether Winter was uh, the online news outlet source for the information, telling NPR, as far as concrete proof, we're just not at that stage yet. Reality Winner? That's her name, yes. That's such a great name. Reality winner. Her Thanks. parents. Thanks, great Mom. sense of humor. <laughs> uh, continuing, children who drink alternatives to dairy milk, including soy, almond, or rice milks, appear to be slightly shorter than their peers oh boy. who drink cow's milk, according to new research. The study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition found that for each cup of non-cow's milk children drank per day, they were 0.4 centimeters shorter than their average than the average for their age. Really? Conversely, for each cup uh, daily cup of cow's milk they drink, children were 0.2 centimeters taller than average. How interesting! Height That's... is height is an important indicator of a child's overall health. The authors note, and cow's milk is a reliable source of dairy protein and fat, essential for proper growth in early childhood. Huh. Okay. Good to know. So not only I almond soy right maybe save those for the adults possibly. Yeah. Right now, you know, 
get your get your child's lactose intolerance up as high as you can. Absolutely. Before you then move to silk and other things. Go with the beef milk, right? Yeah. Beef milk's the way to go. A Russian businessman buried alive in Moscow's uh, Moscow graveyard called his brother to beg him to pay his debt and get him freed. Really? Kalmet Salev, 41, is kidnapped following a financial dispute over an alleged 5000 or $531,000 in debt, according to a, the Russian media. He was then dragged to the edge of a cemetery and buried alive, face down, but allowed to keep his mobile phone. Not sure why. Yeah. Uh, from beneath the ground, covered in soil, he managed to phone his 36-year-old brother, Ismail, literally from his grave. His brother was reportedly to have paid $21,000 towards the debt and also handed over his BMW 535 car to his brother's, quote, business partners. <laughs> Only after did the kidnappers give the location of the grave, enabling Ismail to dig his brother out. The man was buried for four hours. It was reported Ismail rushed the businessman to the hospital, where he was found to have su- uh, suffered several broken ribs from being dragged to the grave by his captors. Holy cow. So the, the what, what my takeaway from that story yeah, is, yeah. he's underground and he's still got a cell phone connection? What's his phone service? Yeah, Everyone what service else has are problems. you using? His phone works underground. That is so true. That's a, see, that's a great thought. You, you, sit, you sit in your office, your phone doesn't no. work. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, and I can I get it in a building like this one where there's so much, so many electronics going on, so many right. wires everywhere. But when you were outside, outside, like even standing next to a substation, yeah, you with see a the transmitter yeah, that yeah. says AT and T on it. <laughs> Your phone doesn't You'd work. You'd think I'd be able to pick this, this up. This guy's underground, buried alive, and his phone worked. Hey, let me ask you this. Um, do, you, do you ever notice where you don't have phone service and then think to yourself, okay, so this is where I could commit a crime, and they wouldn't be able no. to triangulate my phone? No. Okay, me either. But like growing up, it was my parents' basement. I had to run to the driveway to get phone calls. Hold on. You had a phone at, as a kid? No, this was when I was uh, in college. I was kind of living at home, yeah. and I had one of the first cell phones that you could buy. And Did you grow up, though, stuck to the cord of your phone, home phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was dragged through the house. Yeah. People are twisted up in your it. Your sister yeah. would have to hide in the closet if she wanted a private conversation. Right. And Did it really wasn't private because you just pick up the phone down the hall. Down the hall, and, right. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, John, uh, Mary really loves you. It, was a, it was a huge milestone. When my parents got a second line because they were tired of the internet tying up the main line. <laughs> so we had the second line for the internet. Well, we'd hang up. We'd, you know, you'd, we'd, yeah, you'd turn off the internet and make phone calls. And we had a separate phone line. Oh, you guys were rich. Yeah, we were loaded. Wow. Not at all. And finally, yeah. um, TSA has a, uh, has a little public notice. Uh, grenade rounds for a 40 millimeter grenade launcher. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not something you're supposed to take in your- what? Your check baggage or oh, your carry-on. Can't do anything anymore. Yeah. So if you're going to bring your uh, they are grenade, grenade launcher rounds on an airplane, don't do that. Someone was caught in Alabama. Checked baggage operations <laughs> temporarily suspended Wednesday at the Birmingham Shuttlesworth International Airport after unexpected discovery of 40-millimeter grenade rounds um, Whose bag is this? Bag. <laughs> Who has the bag with the grenade rounds? That is unbelievable. So the oh, F- did my did my wife pack those? The the guy that owned the uh, the luggage says that uh, they did not know that they were live grenade rounds. 
them are live? What? <laughs> I just thought it was going to be a paperweight. Oh, okay. <laughs> can't take shampoo bottles. Got to take off your shoes. Yeah. Can't take your grenade round. We bought them at a yard sale. Can't fly anymore. It's That's crazy. FBI I mean, is investigating. Oh, man. First, Who in the FBI is investigating? Well, Not James Comey. I bet you most of them are watching TV right now. I bet you're right. As their former bosses on James TV. Comey being frisked like a just an average Joe at a TSA line. That's kind of scary. It's about loyalty, though, Matt. It's about it's honest. About. I, I can't. I, I'll give you honesty, President. Well, great. That's what I want is honest loyalty. Well. I'll g- and he said something like, you got it. That's Again, everybody knows. And- Even he tried in five conversations with President Trump to get him to understand we don't do that. Yeah. You don't talk to me like you're talking to me. But then he even realized it's kind of useless to get him to stop because he has no boundaries. He's just he's the 95 year old grandpa that has earned the right to say anything he wants to say. And everyone just says, that's just grandpa. Hmm. Grandpa just says what he wants to say. (laughs) And nothing against 95 year old. But there's everybody's got one in their family that just says what you shouldn't say. And he just says it. And Trump has no boundaries. He just. No. So you're going to be loyal. Like, I want loyalty. And then. Oh, he buttoned his coat. You really you got to know that. What's Sorry, his what, what was no his, what's his play. name? Um, Flynn is a good guy. He's got yeah. a great family. You, you know, you just need to drop this. You, you got to drop it. And then it was in the the statement that he's going to. I guess Comey's going to read this morning. He mentions that he agreed that Flynn was a good guy because yeah. he had met Flynn. Yeah. He'd worked with him. Great guy, and he was a good guy, but. He didn't. He was worried that that gave the impression yeah. that he was on Team Trump, and he's like, "I'm not," because we're still looking right. into this, right? And we're still in that, and the investigation goes on. And remember, there was a lot of hullabaloo about the fact that President Trump wasn't under investigation, and he was, right. and that came out that he was trying to get because Comey said, "You're not under investigation; others of your people are." And he's like, then he tried to push him to get that information out. Go tell everybody I'm not under investigation. It's we've got a bad, a dark cloud over. He's like, well, I can't because yeah, we don't. You do could be under investigation. We don't want to have to walk all that back. Yeah. So he's like, uh, how do we do this? Again, boundaries, boundaries. Hey, a little uh, side note for you: if you're keeping score, let's just say you have to deliver a baby gorilla, for instance. For instance, gotcha. at the Philadelphia Zoo. Last uh, last Friday. Who do you call? Is there a veterinarian? Right. I mean, like, who's the gorilla OBGYN? Yeah. So a team of veterinary and human medical specialists was called to deliver a baby gorilla at the zoo. The mother, 17-year-old Kira. That's a young, that's a young gorilla yeah, yeah. to be having a baby. Right. Well, well I mean. Well, they are, do live in Philadelphia. Are gorilla years the same as human years? I have no idea. Okay. Uh, don't they live longer? Don't no. gorillas live long? Possibly. Well, you've seen King Kong, right? I have. They so. get really big, too, apparently. Huge. So usually gorilla births are quick. The mother does not appear distressed. But with Kira, the staff in the zoo noticed that she was growing tired after being in labor and were concerned for her health. The surgeons, anesthesiologists, and an OBGYN, a full-fledged medical OBGYN, were prepared to respond if anything went wrong during the labor or Kira's pregnancy. While the gorilla's cesarean sections aren't out of the ordinary, this was the first assisted vaginal delivery for a gorilla since 2000. Wow. They done delivered a gorilla baby and an OBGYN and an anesthesiologist and a surgeon was all pre- – they were all present. And not even – they weren't all 
uh, veterinarians. Some of them were human OBGYNs. Hmm. I wonder if it's the same kind of delivery. Yeah. Like with the father passing out. <laughs> was the father there to cut the cord? Uh, Motuba was the father. And he uh, he found it a little creepy to have to cut the cord. Yeah. So he just wanted instead to just kind of nod off with He's his like, teeth. I'm going to go hang uh, out on my tire, so I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody have uh, some lettuce? It was anxious and dramatic moment at the zoo and in the end a tremendously rewarding one. They delivered a beautiful baby gorilla. And you got to – we'll post it on our Twitter page. You've got to see the face of this baby gorilla. It, you can tell it's under anesthesia. Because it looks like uh, it looks like a flower child from the seventies after a bad concert, just in La La Land, cute as can be, good stuff. Um, and congratulations to Matumba and the mother, Kira, and their beautiful baby. I don't know if they've named the baby yet. Bobo. Hope not. That's my son's nickname. Really? All right. But it makes sense. They're very similar. Um, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to review an interview we did uh, over discussing the value of time over money. I think it's an important discussion. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you put your priorities straight. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Coldplay for you. And uh, their song, Clocks, you know, Clocks, major part of our lives. And would you believe they impact your happiness to one degree or another? You know, if you had the choice, would you choose to live closer to work but earn a lower salary or live a substantial distance away from your work and earn a higher salary? Questions similar to this one were posed by researchers at the University of British Columbia in a recent study on valuing time and money and how it relates to happiness. The lead researcher on this study, Ashley Willans, joins us now live from Vancouver to teach us what she's she's learned. Ashley, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me this morning. You bet, and congrats on this great research. I mean, it's you're killing it. You're a, you're a PhD candidate or student and. You're getting all this press because you're hitting, it seems like, a pretty a pretty big topic. Yeah. I mean, time and money uh, are definitely two of our most valuable resources. And I think is what's really interesting about this search is that we don't often think about time and money being related toward one another. Right. We show that uh, people who value time over money um, do seem to be happier than people who value money over time. Now, that... It's it's I guess that's just, you know, grandma taught me that. <laughs> right. Well, well, so the, the interesting thing about our research. So in our lab, we study the relationship between money and happiness. And although most people say they know what's good for their happiness. Yeah. They're not always the best at acting. They don't do it, do they? They think they know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and why um, is that? Because it seems like it's I guess it is. We're hungry We're we want more money and Maybe we get into habits that have us chasing the money because isn't this a lot of the research showing that as we age, we we even get wiser to this this effect? 
Yeah, absolutely. So across our studies, we find um, that people who value time over money, that's associated with greater happiness. And that exactly what you're saying, Matt, that people sort of clue into this over time. Mm. So uh, older people in our studies were more likely to say that they valued having more time at the expense of having less money. And I think uh, in terms of, you know, the way, you know, when you're coming to think about having money or having time, it's really hard. There's a lot of reasons why people are not very good about making decisions about time. We always think, so there's this really funny effect in, in um, behavioral science called the yes, damn effect. And <laughs> basically what it is, is the future feels way more uh, free than the present moment. So right. you know today that you're, you know, right now we're, we're in the middle, you know, on the way to work or, you know, and we know the hundred thousand things that we have to do today. But Two weeks from now, your calendar looks open and you think that you have all of the time in the world. So people especially aren't very good at making decisions about time because we always think that we're going to have more time in the future than we do in the present moment. Whereas the value of the dollar today, so if I have $5 today, $5 today is worth $5 tomorrow. But when it comes to time, people devalue having more time in the future. Isn't that interesting? And that's just human nature, I guess. Just, mm-hmm. I, I guess because we, we, we always think the future is going to be rosier. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably a healthy coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. otherwise the fu- you're dead, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably pretty good to, to be overly optimistic about the future. But when it comes to, you know, making trade-offs between money and time, you need to ask yourself, you know, if, if I had the choice today, would I want that extra half an hour? You know, I, I, since publishing this research, I often like, you know, m- you know, try to hack my own life related to time and money. So, you know, I'm always like to my husband, you know, well, you should really take the toll bridge. If the toll bridge is going to save you 20 to 20 minutes each way, you should definitely take that. <laughs> so true. Uh, but, but I guess too, then, then what do we do with our, I mean, it's almost like if I save, I know that if I was given um, a free day today, I know yeah. how I would spend it. A lot of times I would just spend it the exact same way I spent every other free day I have, almost just recuperating from my non-free days. Instead of right. instead of doing something new and and beneficial, I don't know, and something that might just foster happiness, I instead kind of retreat and re-entrench into my just survival mechanism. Yeah. I call it Netflix. Okay. Well, I, so that's a good point, Matt. I think this, you know, buying time or buying happy time involves a little bit of forward planning. Not only do you have to get over the fact that you think you're going to have more time in the future than you do today, but you also have to use that time. So one really good way of doing this is pre-committing your future self. So finding some, finding someone to do something fun with, getting a class, you know, doing like taking a cooking class with a friend, signing up in advance. And pre-committing a few hours every week mm. to doing something that is new or enjoyable is an experience. So we also know from research looking at the relationship between money and happiness that experiences are good. So they actually provide a bigger boost in happiness than just buying stuff. Um, so you could plan an experience with a friend. We also know, of course, that social connections are really good for happiness, but that interestingly people sort of undervalue talking to strangers or new people, meeting new people, they think that it won't be as enjoyable as it actually is. So anything that you can pre-commit yourself, your future self, with a friend, 
to doing something that um, is an experience that involves social connection, that maybe gets you out of your shell, gets you out of that daily routine, is would be a great use of, hmm. of you know your future free time. So buying yourself out of some of the inconveniences of, of everyday life, like having a long commute, and then also using that free time in better ways, like you know exactly like getting a I don't know, cooking class or going to an exercise class, doing something different with that time. My colleague um, at the Harvard Business School, Mike Norton, also finds that really interestingly, one really good thing that you can do with your free time is uh, volunteering. And not only is that good for happiness, but interestingly, people who give away their time actually feel like they have more of it. Sounds counterintuitive, yeah. but whenever, whenever you're giving away something, you're like, oh, this must be something that I have. Like, I'm giving away time, so I must have lots of it. Um, and so that is actually a, one really good thing that you might be able to do with that extra free time. Yeah, and it sounds like giving it away almost makes it a service or an act, which probably helps happiness. Yeah, for it's, sure. So it, in our lab, we also have research showing that Doing, doing things for others, so in terms of financial generosity, is good for happiness and health. So right. exactly, volunteering, not only does it benefit you, it makes you feel like you have all this free time, um, but it might also benefit your happiness as well. Oh, man, this is interesting, Ashley. Um, I, I, and I love it because so much of it is just, it does seem, you know, kind of like what our values have, you know, just traditional kind of Judeo-Christian values. Yeah, time over money. Um, but then, yeah, we get sucked into the, the play for the money. Let's take a break, Ashley, and uh, come back, continue discussing this. We are speaking with Ashley Willans, who is um, a professor or a, a, a Ph.D. student, a Ph.D. candidate um, there in uh, British Columbia, at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. And she's talking to us about her article, Valuing Your Time More Than Money, It's Linked to Happiness. Uh, interesting, interesting insights, folks. Man. Really, common sense, yet common sense validated academically. It's awesome. Good stuff. We'll take a break. Continue to stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. More on time and money when we come back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. She works hard for her money, so you better treat her right. Ashley Willans is joining us. She is a research at the University of British Columbia and is one of the authors of a recent study on valuing time or money and how it relates to happiness. And she's talking to us about the fact that those people that value time more than money it actually are happier and um and I guess, Ashley, first, welcome back. Thanks yeah, for giving thanks. us your time without any money. We this appreciate is pretty it. happy time, though. Yeah, it is. No problem. I'm, I'm <laughs> loving it. Is it um, – there, so you're saying there's a direct – there's a correlation between people that are choosing their time and valuing their time over their money. They actually are – they're happier. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And we found that, I think it's important to note, we found that uh, sometimes psychology studies, they're like, but don't you just study college students? Uh, so we found this in a nationally representative sample of Americans, working adults in Canada, and college students. So it seems to be a pretty 
strong finding that people who value time over money um, seem to be walking around a little bit happier than people who value having more money over time. And when they, and then did you study and what they do with their time? Like when I, so time, I mean, I could have time and then just stand in the parking lot for an hour. <laughs> but, but I guess it's taking my time and, and go, like you're saying, going, being with family, being with friends, going out, doing mm-hmm. activities. Those, that's what really also adds to the happiness. Yeah, so what we see across our studies is that people who value having more time at the expense of having less money, so they say that they would give up some some of their discretionary income in order to have more time. There are also people who are more likely to get rid of things that we all don't like doing. So when we offered some of our participants a prize in a lottery, people who valued time over money were more likely to choose a house cleaning service hmm. um, as a lottery incentive. That would get rid of a couple of hours of, you know, we always laugh about this in the lab, but like scrubbing the toilet bowls, like the most awful parts of yeah. your weekend um, versus just having a cash prize. People who valued time over money were also more likely um, to volunteer their time, to work fewer hours, and were more politically engaged. We all know that those things are good for happiness. Hmm. Um, and then even in terms of major life decisions, so people who said that they valued having more time at the expense of having less money were also more likely to say that they would choose a job that had more flexible hours, that for college students, the college students that we sampled, they said that they were willing to, to go to graduate programs that required fewer hours and all of these things. So we know that over, like people have a tendency to overwork and we know that overworking is bad for happiness and stress. Um, so it seems that in general, people who value time over money are doing things both on a daily basis in terms of being more likely to go to the more expensive grocery store that's closer to their house, but hmm. also they're more likely to make major life decisions, such as where to live and where to work, that are conducive to happiness. So it seems that people who value time over money sort of have an edge in terms of uh, the way that they think about using their time yeah. to maximize happiness. And, and they, I guess, and then because time matters, they keep choosing time. They may keep making more pro-time decisions that keep buying them more and more time. Yeah, exactly. It's and, and to your And to your point, um, you know, it does matter what we do with that free time. So we have other research um, that we're currently working on on publishing um, showing that, you know, just buying yourself out of these kind of negative experiences, like having someone clean your house a couple of hours a week, not, is not necessarily going to get you, buy you that happiness. You also have to use that time in better ways. Right. So we find uh, some evidence of people who use money to change the way they spend their time by like outsourcing or getting a house cleaning service every couple of hours. That there that that is that there is a link to happiness, but really only when people use that you know buy time on the weekends and then use that free time to spend with their close friends and family. Hmm. So really interestingly, we do find evidence that just getting rid of negative like some evidence that just getting rid of negative stuff or using money to buy yourself more minutes doesn't necessarily buy happiness. And you also have to have the intuition to spend that time in better ways. Yeah. What happens? Uh, it was a representative sample you said that you used nationally. What happens to maybe um, the lower economic strata or strata that mm-hmm. um, that they don't like Maslow's hierarchy? They they have to right. make the money. Um, that must be almost in a, in a in a way additionally stressful um 
and and does it impact their happiness mm-hmm. more dramatically? Yeah, so I- yeah, that's a great question. Um, in this research, I think it's really important to note that we're talking about discretionary income. And almost everybody in our sample had some discretionary sure. income. So what we find that's sort of interesting across all of the studies that we conducted is that even for people at the lower income in our studies, valuing time over money was associated with greater happiness. Mm. So controlling for income, both people in the at the lowest end of our income bracket and the highest income, in, that were making the most money yeah. in our studies, they all benefited nearly equally from, like there's no different, they all benefited equally from valuing having more time over having more money. Of course, this is not to say that we, we did not have people below the poverty line in our studies. So it is possible. We are not, whenever we're talking about this research, we're not talking about, you know, trading rent money for a vacation. Right. Right, yeah. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah, good, okay. We're talking about, yeah, the discretionary income that we all yeah. have. So if you're someone that can afford to buy a latte at Starbucks three times a week, which is a lot of most of us, right. um, then you're also the kind of person that can think about instead of spending so that you know, instead of spending that fifteen twenty dollars on Starbucks every week, just save that money and maybe spend it on getting a house cleaning service once a month, and then using that time to to hang out with your friends and family. Oh, I love that, and it's, um, I mean, again, it's it just makes you feel like there's hope, right? Like if I could just put my move and move my focus from being so money centric, it's almost like whether you're abundant minded or kind of scarcity minded. And a lot of us have maybe been raised thinking there's not enough. So just keep working. There's not enough. You might lose your job. Just keep working. Just Mm -hmm. keep working. And yet your family can suffer. Your health could suffer. Your happiness suffers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's really interesting, especially North American culture. So sometimes people, you know, People in my department are like, well, you know, is buying time, you know, only a thing in, in North American cultures. And, and I think it's in, an interesting idea that maybe we actually need a little bit more help than other people hmm. around the world. Yeah. There's a lot of, con- you know, countries that are more communal than uh, North American countries. And so that means they spend more time. They prioritize, you know, their, their family life. So my, my husband's Italian and they all come home for an hour and a half in the middle of the day to have yeah. lunch with each other. And they all live very close to each other and live very close to work. And their whole society is structured a lot more around having more and better time than North American society. So I think thinking about, you know, especially for, you know, um, for us in this busy, industrialized country, valuing time over money might be particularly important because we have to sort of work against the status quo. We have to sort of work against the structures that are in place that, you know, lead us to to work a lot or think we have to work a lot. Um, And so it could be particularly important to use money to buy time and also to value time over money, especially in the North American context. What did you find about the people that actually value money over time? How do they spend their money? How do they spend their life that's different? Yeah. I mean, we're really looking at it in the context of these studies as sort of a dichotomy. So we did ask people to choose whether or not they were more like a person who valued time over money or more like a person who valued money over time. And we see that, again, very consistently with other research is we find that people who value money, they spend more of their time working. Um, They tend to be younger. Um, and, and I think, you know, there, it, there is some sense in that when you're younger, you're trying to establish your yeah. career, 
Um, you're trying to make it toward major life milestones, you know, get married, um, buy a house, have a family. And so I think a, an interesting next direction for this research is to really track people over time. So right now we are uh, and see how these orientations change over over one's life and whether those change, like whether the, the values that people have change and how that impacts their happiness mm. over the course of their lives. So we're running a study right now with 4,000 college students and we're tracking their orientation. So whether they value time over money when they come to college and then also how their, that influences what major they choose and then also what jobs they choose and who they end up with. And it could be too also that fit matters. So, you know, at certain times of our lives, it might be more, more important to value time over money or money over time. And, at these different, so again, when you're younger, maybe it's better that you're v- valuing money if that's what you you need to right. do. Um, so we're conducting lots of new studies now to kind of understand like when should people value time over money? Um, because if you're valuing time, but maybe you should be valuing money, that might make you feel good in the moment, but over the course of your life might have detrimental effects on oh, happiness. Yeah. So we're tracking people over, uh, you know, you get back to me in like five years. Oh yeah, I'm for sure. People, I'm calling you again. Ash. Okay, that sounds good. You and I have a date. Five That's right. Years but you today. better have your PhD done, Ashley, because if you're not I, done I by then, I do. <laughs> I know. Sometimes you never know, do you? Did you find anything in your research about gender? Does gender does it split in any interesting way by gender? No. So in our studies, um, both men and women were equally likely to value time over money, which I think is interesting. Again, it would be interesting to see how these orientations change after people have kids. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because you could really imagine that if you, even if you prioritize money, once you start having kids, maybe you just want to hang out with them. And oh, that's yeah. And probably pretty good for happiness if you're also not conflicted. You're not trying to make money and also trying to enjoy the time that you spend with your kids. Well, plus you're out of shape. With every child we had, I gained about 10 pounds. And so I have six kids, so you figure that out. And um, <laughs> But, you know, it's then you're, you're winded. It's harder to work longer. It's, you know, sure you get promoted, but you want to be with your... I just saw it with my uh, with my grandchild and my daughter, I mean, and the son, he can hardly wait to get home. He used to be able to work, 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 work. But since he's had this baby, he wants to see his baby. Right. And, and that, I think that's probably the the right response to that, right? Yeah. This is cool. See, you're changing the world, Ashley. It's neat. Slowly. Well, you're, you're, you're at least understanding the world. And then you're reporting it. That's, I think, important. Uh, anything else we need to know about happiness? If you had to think of, I call it just the one thing, what should all of us remember uh, Like, is the one thing that we could do today? The one thing that if we just did this a little bit more, our happiness would improve, what would that look like? Whenever you take out your credit card or, or making a spending decision, Think about whether and how that spending decision changes your time. It's such a weird thing. Like we really don't, people really don't, are not good at making trade-offs between time and money. But really ask yourself before, you know, you buy that new pair of cool pair of sneakers on the internet. Could I be using something instead to change my time? And if so, what does that look like? Ah. And, and I think that's the one, the one thing out of this research is, you know, money and time are are actually interchangeable. Yeah. The more we work, the less free time we have. 
That's true. Um, you know, the more we spend, the more we're going to need to make more money, which will chip away into the free time that we have. So really just ask yourself when you're making a spending decision, could this money instead be used to change the way that I spend my time? Love it. Love it. Ashley Willans, thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll uh, talk to you yeah, five years. Five years. <laughs> It'll be Dr. Willans then. Thanks, Ashley. All right. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, interesting, isn't that? Um, it's such an interesting question. When you pull your credit card out, is it going to? Is this going to positively impact your time? And think about it. I mean, refinancing your house, buying that new car, instead of keeping the old car, you really want the new car. Buying that new car is it going to impact your time with the people you love? Well, yeah, but they'll have a great seat in the back and they can watch the videos. Is that going to help time with family? Interesting, interesting subject. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. So have you ever wondered how you can um, get your kid to turn off their phone? Well, here on BYU campus, we have a little app, uh, and Lauren is here. Lauren Simpson is here to talk to us about, really about holes, (laughs) but somehow in a weird, indirect way, it's because of an app that uh, BYU has to get the students to turn their phones off on campus. Right. So it's this nationwide app called Pocket Points, and if you leave your phone off, you're going to get points while you're on campus. So the idea is to not have your phone on during class. Yeah. And then you use those points and you get coupons. So I got a coupon for some Krispy Kreme donuts. It was buy one, get one. And that's free. why you brought donuts to the team. So donuts this morning for yeah. everybody except for you. Except for gallbladder boy. <laughs> Great. So, um, but you actually then turn your phone off because right. of the app. Yeah. So it just has to, the app has to be open in the background while it's just on the sleep mode. So your phone's not completely turned off, but it's on it, the powers, you're the just, screen is off. Yeah, you just turned it off. And and then it gives you points for every 20 minutes that you're not using the phone. It's giving you points that you can use at restaurants. and Yeah, you can get a free Chick-fil-A sandwich. But those some of the better things, they go faster. So there's a certain number of each coupon the businesses agree to per week. So I think Chick-fil-A does 50 free chicken sandwiches once a week. So those go fast. Yeah, you get those on Monday. So you know that. <laughs> That's great. And then um, because of this, you you then somehow wanted to talk about holes. Like how did holes come up? Right. Well, can you name five foods with holes in them, but you can't use donuts? Five foods with holes. Cheese. Okay. Yeah. Swiss cheese. Um, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> five foods. Uh, cake. Uh, what's that? Bunt cake. Yeah, bunt cake. Has a hole. And then if you put pineapple rings on it. Oh, pineapple rings, yummy. There you go. Three. Um, <laughs> I don't know my foods very well. Uh, cookies. He hasn't been eating enough lately. Certain cookies, cookies mm-hmm. have holes. The in Girl them. Scout. What are those ones? Oh, the Samoas. Caramel? Samoas. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And one more with a hole. Um, <laughs> it's a cereal that most people oh, like. Cheerios. There you go. Holy cow! <laughs> that counts. Holy cow! So, uh, so because you, now you got holes on the head, right? So now I just started going down this road. Like, how many holes are in a golf ball? Those little oh, dents. Oh, boy. I'm going to bet. Dimples. Is that what they're called? Yeah, dimples. It's the technical word. Right. 800. 
it is three to five hundred. Oh, is that all? Okay. Hmm. But I, I was trying to maybe count. If you had like a bigger golf ball. Yeah, I, I play with a lot bigger ball. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the movie Holes? Yeah. Or read fact, the book? In fact, I just happened, I, I Googled Holes because that's this movie that my kids love, but I haven't seen it for, oh, it came out in 2003. Yeah, it has Shia LaBeouf in it. And... Yeah. That was where, before he went crazy and started yelling at Trump. Right. Well, this is when he was on Disney. <laughs> okay, yeah. So that's how we knew that. What was that? Was a good predicator. That was a, I, that was a great hole. That was a great show. I've never <laughs> thought I'd love a show about holes, but yeah, that was a good movie. Okay, next one. Um, did you know? So I was reading about black holes in space. Yeah. When you get near them and it starts to stretch you out because of gravity, you become like this long piece of spaghetti. And the technical word for it is actually spaghettification. <laughs> really? Yeah, like the so, scientific technical term for black hole spaghettifying. So if you want to be taller and skinnier, you spaghetti. You want to spaghettify. You want to be spaghettified. Right. But and it would probably kill you. If you want to sound smart, you just talk about spaghettification. Yeah. I think Cole was talking about that the other day and we just ignored him. We, Were thought, you Cole? we thought he was making up words. We thought he was mumbling. Oh. Cole. How many holes are in a golf ball? Or not in a golf ball. That's the one we just did. How many yeah. holes are in a bowling ball? Three. Okay. What's the legal limit for holes in a bowling ball if you wanted to have more? <laughs> I'm going to go with five. You can have 12 holes in a bowling ball and it still be a legal bowling ball. Really? Right. So you can have one for each finger. That's five. And then you're allowed, I think, one weight hole so it can balance the ball. It's okay. on the opposite side. And then each... Finger hole can have air vent holes. Really? Yeah. So if you're ever in competitive bowling. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but, oh, that's interesting. You have you can have up to 12 holes in your ball. Can you only use two of them? No. So you can you can use like all five. But can you have one hole in your ball? Can you play with a ball with just one I hole? I think you could play with a ball with no holes if you wanted to. A holeless to. ball. Okay. That's great. <laughs> Okay, so if I'm working at my desk and I eat 13 of those donut holes, not a regular donut, but a donut hole, how many donuts did I eat? What is the How many donut holes does it take to get to a donut? I, I, I'm pretty sure according to the donut hole uh, Bible. Conversion yeah, chart. Metric. It's seven and a half donut holes constitute one donut. I think it depends on how many donuts you ate that you want to tell yourself it's more. That's true. <laughs> According to the calories, it's only four. Four donut holes equals a donut. Really? Yeah. So even though you can down those donut holes a lot faster than a uh, donut, you're eating like – Do you know how bad I want That means I ate like donut. four donuts. <laughs> I wonder – so if I just – maybe this is the way I test my gallbladder is I just try a donut. Uh-huh. Or a donut hole because you can eat more of those. Yeah. And I just see if my gallbladder explodes. Start um, counting the donuts. I should. It's science. It's it's healthier testing than uh, what we were talking about earlier, right? That's a good point. Great mm-hmm. point. Yeah. We don't need a CAT scan or a CT scan. Uh, any other donut? The Holy Roman Empire. We've got that one. Yeah. Yeah. I... Who was the first emperor? Anybody? No idea. Is it Nero? No, but at least you got a emperor. <laughs> yeah, you got Yay. one of them. Uh, you know what? Let me just put it in this one little thing I have This here. thing called Google? Yeah. Do you have that thing? Uh, I'm going to go look up emperor – oops, emperors. <laughs> emperor's the, new groove. Keep going. That, by the way, that, that is the second search, emperor's new groove. <laughs> Google knows. Who's the first emperor? That's such a great question. Charlemagne. 
Oh, that's oh, the man. guy that everyone's just related to. Whenever you go back far <laughs> enough, and yeah, yeah, if right you go back point. in your genealogy, you're yeah. eventually related to an emperor. And then Napoleon's also a common guest, but he was actually the last. Emperor. Napoleon Dynamite, one of my favorite shows. That one, yes, he was the emperor, the man. last emperor of the whole. Those are great. Empire. When was the whole punch created? I'm going with the 30s. Like the 1930s? Yeah. I'll go with the 1830s then. Yeah, 1930s. <laughs> It was the eighteen. It was eighteen eighty six. I thought it would be older than that. Really? I guess punching holes in papers. It's it's a it's a pastime. A lot of people have done it okay. for years. Really? <laughs> All right, last one. Okay. So, what's your favorite hole in the wall restaurant you've been to? Mmm. Uh, Ruth's Diner. Ruth's Diner. Where's that? It's up Immigration Canyon in Salt Lake City. Is it kind of like a Cracker Barrel? Or? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like – well, it's actually now they've made it really nice, but it's like – it's really awesome. Huh. It's, have- in, it's in a – it's in a – it's in a, a, a rail car. Hmm. Oh, that's neat. Does pretty it cool. Does it drive? Nope. It's pretty much just – Stationary. It's yeah, moldy and molded. <laughs> no, it's a great restaurant. And uh, beautiful canyon breeze. Mmm. We should go there right Great now. Great brunches. After mm, the show. I'm starving. There's this hot dog place on Interstate 80 in Iowa, and it's just this – you're driving along the highway, and suddenly there's this gigantic sign that says pull over for the world's best hot dogs. Was it the so world's best did. hot dog ever? It was so good. It was like a foot and a half long <gasps> hot dog, <sighs> and we were standing there staring at the, the menu, and the guy who works at this little hot dog stand, he said, have you, have you been here before? And we were like, no, I think we just want a hot dog with ketchup and mustard. And he, he took that as a huge insult. He said, no, I'm making this hot dog the way I want to. So he <laughs> Take that. <laughs> he put everything on it. Like this thing. Oh, is that sounds high. so good. I'm starving. Lauren, thanks so much. <laughs> Lauren Simpson's her name. The, the, she's the master of uh, subjects, including holes today. Keep it up. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back. Happy Donald Duck Day to you. It's uh, Thursday, which is the day you get ready for Friday, and then you can get ready for Saturday and Sunday. Happy days to you. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the latest, greatest research and information to help uh, take your life to another level, uh, you know, because it's not enough to just spend your life watching the Comey hearings. There's more to life than watching the FBI director, ex-FBI director, uh, testify about his meetings with President Trump. But they're all on it. In fact, right now, Marco Rubio has his uh, whack at the pinata. I think that's the technical term. They get like what ten minutes? Yeah. He ever, then they spin. They spin the senator around and then blindfold him, and he just starts whacking, swinging wildly. But uh, uh, Director Comey, he did a great job. He's so far, he's yep. he's not breaking down. He's they, they haven't pulled out the advanced interrogation techniques yet. Which Wa- waterboarding after lunch. They'll be doing that after lunch. <laughs> Nothing worse than being waterboarded on a full stomach. Yeah. Yeah, I always like to have my waterboarding before we go to lunch. I went to the dentist the other day. Yeah. You know, they kind of 
as my dentist is uh, cleaning and brushing and mm-hmm. chiseling or whatever he's doing, yeah. then, chipping away. Then the uh, nurses, the dental assistant comes in with the uh, like a water pick thing, uh-huh. and they spray, and then the other one has a vacuum and all yeah. this. And uh, they got a little rambunctious, if you could say, Ooh. and so some kind of sprayed up into my face, and they're like trying to <laughs> clean out. And I go, it's okay. It's like a very gentle waterboarding. I appreciate yeah. it. You know? My son had to have uh, stitches, and his they were washing his wound. And he was being waterboarded. Yeah. Like they put a towel over his face there and he was drowning in the towel. <laughs> and I'm like, well, shouldn't he be on oxygen if you're going to I saw this on a movie once. It's crazy. Donald Duck Day. Donald first appeared to us in 1934 in a film called The Wise Little Hen. It uh, is the retelling of the original Little Red Hen story. And then eventually it turned into a huge franchise. This is, uh, what's it called? So this is from DuckTales. DuckTales, right. Which more starred his little nephews yeah. than Donald himself. But why we're doing this is Cole's having a hard time pulling some audio from Donald Duck where we could understand what he's saying. Right. He Donald had a little speech impediment. But the more I think about it, they really do try to emulate a quacking sound almost. Like when, as he's talking, you get these like... Random quacks coming out also, yeah. and it's, it's more than just a lisp or spit. Right, it's, it's not. Like, it's quacking. Daffy Duck's the one that was real lispy. Right. Donald just—he was a real duck. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have to well, fake this. They he, just he, had. He was a sailor. They just had. Yeah. He was a duck. He was a veteran. He was a duck that apparently was in the navy. He's a, he's, or the he's Merchant a vet. Marines. Which, he did. I mean, that was the plot to DuckTales. The reason Huey, Dewey, and Louie took over is because Donald was going out on a little trip no, out with absolutely. the Navy. Absolutely. Love him with Scrooge McDuck Had and to stay with Uncle, see what happens. Uncle Scrooge. And you mm-hmm. gotta you gotta revere him for his service. You know. Absolutely. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, today we're going to be talking about how to make summer matter. Your your kids are home from school. Grandkids have time off. How do you take advantage of the summer days instead of just watching your kids veg all day? Yeah. How do you, you know, help them along? Make, maybe make sure, too, they learn something. Heaven forbid. Uh, ours, are, ours are deep, uh, elbow deep in weeds. Our kids are going to be weeding all summer. Nice. It's like having a family of goats. It is exactly like having a family of goats. That's good. Uh-huh. We, even, we even chain ours up so they don't huh? run away. That's good. They have to weed until the chain is taut. <laughs> then we'll move the we'll everything move. in your sphere of influence mm-hmm. as far as the channel go. So we'll get to all of uh, that fun about uh, making summer matter with Heather Johnson. Uh, we will also be talking about some empty news, some of the crazy news stories that come down that you don't a lot of times hear about because because the media they oppress these stories, they hide these stories away, and maybe use only one of them. But on our show, we give you a lot of them. Right, empty news. First on the scene, fifth on the facts. That's just how we roll. So we'll be giving you some information about bizarre things being stolen from New York City apartment buildings Mm. and also a judge that denies a man's request to juggle during trial. That's all ahead. But first to the headlines. These are the real headlines from Terry South. Things we need to worry about. What's going on, Terry? Authorities are trying to figure out what is inside a mysterious yellow pill 
that is so potent it killed four people in central Georgia and sent dozens to the hospital. Starting Sunday, paramedics were called to the scene of several overdoses, and one of the patients arrived at the hospital. Most had to undergo aggressive treatment. Georgia Poison Control said the pill can cause people to lose consciousness and go into severe respiratory failure. The drug is new, and officials are trying to identify it. Several patients said they thought they were buying Percocet, an opioid used to treat pain that can be addictive. In May, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation Crime Lab launched an investigation into the counterfeit pills and found that more than 450 contained fentanyl, an opioid that can be 100 times stronger than morphine. Overdoses are now the leading cause of death in Americans ages 50. If you're an American under 50... It's your number one cause? That's the number one cause of death. Holy cow, this is an epidemic. Scientists announced Wednesday the discovery of several archaic Homo sapien remains that indicate mankind evolved earlier than previously known. The roughly 300,000-year-old fossils found in Morocco show the early Homo sapiens shared facial traits similar to ours, but their brains were shaped longer and lower than humans today. Before the discovery, the oldest recognizable Homo sapien remains were just 195,000 years old, and they, they were discovered in Ethiopia. The discovery, discovery also indicates that humans evolved across the African continent. So we're now, with this uh, new discovery, that, that's another 100,000 years yeah. into the past where we're still finding Homo sapiens that look like us, at least skeletally. Yeah. They have lower brains. I'm not sure what that means. What is a low brain? You don't want to know. Really? It sounds like a condition you may want to talk to a doctor about. <laughs> you got low brain. After blocking Google users from reading free articles in February, the Wall Street Journal's subscription business soared with a fourfold increase in the rate of visitors converting to paying customers. Hmm. But there was a trade off. Traffic from Google plummeted 44%. Oh, really? Because the articles weren't free. Yeah. That's because Google searches are a result of based on an algorithm that scans the internet for free content. After the journal's free articles went behind a paywall, Google's bot only saw the first few paragraphs and started ranking them lower. Huh. Right? If you go there now, yeah. if, you, if you don't have an account... It says the journal now only lets Google users see short snippets at the top of its articles, restricting the rest of to its 2.2 million subscribers or people who arrive via social media. There are there are certain ways where you can still get in, but you've got but you to can't just, work the system. You can't just come in through Google. I bet unless you just pay Google a lot of money and then they'll just post yours as a sponsored right ad, right? So executives at the journal owned by, this is owned by News Corp, which is Rupert Murdoch's company, argued that Google's policy is unfairly punishing them for trying to attract more digital subscribers. They want Google to treat their articles equally in search rankings despite being behind a paywall. Hmm. Boy. How do you get people to be able to pay for uh, content when they don't want to pay for content? You, you... And then how do you keep your searches up to pay for the ads... When the second you go behind a paywall, the searches drop. Gone. That's see, that's the trick. You figure that out, you're a millionaire. Or at least you can run a newspaper. Have a business, yeah. right? And finally, normally when the law shows up, no one's laughing, especially when they're checking on the welfare of a three-year-old. But Hannah Paisley isn't a normal three-year-old. Just ask the officers and deputies in Kansas City, Missouri. She already knows what she wants to be when she grows up. Hannah asked her parents if she could set up a lemonade stand to raise the $40 that she needed for her first police uniform. Oh, wow. Then her mom had an idea. It would be really neat if we could have an officer stop by. Hannah's mom said this, and and so she went to, uh, as they're calling it, and she put out an APB, 
<laughs> All points bulletin on the modern day call box social media. She put it out on Facebook, I believe. Uh, she loves police officers, and I would love it if someone could come by and buy lemonade from her. They posted on Facebook. After the first officer arrived, then it was 50 officers arrived. Oh, wow. Soon after, the neighborhood was flooded with police cruisers, a police chopper, even police horses. Those <laughs> were the patrol horses. They came by and just ate our grass, Paisley says. <laughs> so she earned her money. And she's How being cool able to is get that? Her uniform, but the, the pictures are crazy. They're like the up and down their street, just all these cops. Just Can like, you imagine oh. what the neighbors were thinking? Oh, yeah. Oh, what's going on over there? I knew they were up to something a drug bust so it's kind of a that's kind a of neat cool. story yeah. and it's great for police recruiting yes we're getting that we're getting now these young kids that want to be cops no doubt the social media manager for the local police department was also there to document mm, the situation that's strange <laughs> isn't it it's a it always works out that they hey social guys, media i got an idea up. let's go get some lemonade i want everybody there <laughs> look good Hey, speaking of uh, police, um, you're not going to believe this. Uh, a man broke into the basement of a Bronx apartment building early this month, made off with some uh, rather odd things, two toy race cars, a milkshake machine, mm-hmm. a chocolate fondue machine. Well, okay. So someone's having a party. Yeah. Cops say the suspect broke into the complex late on May 11th. Surveillance shows him scaling the side of the building under the cover of the night and then later walking away with a bag. Police, police say got in the basement through the window. Uh, so what would you do with a chocolate fondue machine, Right. a milkshake machine, Okay. and two toy race cars? Well, you play with the race cars. Yeah. Um, Aren't these machines big? The fondue machine and the shake machine, yeah, they're, they're about the size probably of a mixer of some kind. Mm. So, it sounds like a great – that's not bizarre. I mean, I, I've stolen – now, Worst is, things. is that a random robbery or is it targeted for those items? What do you think? I bet it was totally targeted. Because like I want these specific like when things. When you walk into a friend's house and they're like, you want some fondue? And you're like, I've never had fondue. And then you try it and then you're like, I've got to have more fondue. Well, then, you know, he went back to the scene. It was an inside job. What do you think? Yeah, he, he'd been in the house. He had, he had used a little fork, mm-hmm. had some fondue, and then do- he's thinking, I need... Do you like the chocolate fondue or the cheese fondue? Again, I'm a savory guy. I like the cho- I like the cheese, but I'm not I'm not averse to mixing them either. Cheesy chocolate? Mm-hmm. Wow. I just think I mean right now I I try anything. Some places there are laws that prohibit that. I'm on a liquid diet, and uh, I think that would I think that would work. I think liquid cheese would kill you. Maybe because there's like a high fat content. Yeah, I've got sludge already. There you go. So let's not do that. <laughs> um, also, apparently, a judge denies uh, a man a re- man's request to juggle during trial. A Massachusetts judge has denied a man request a man's request to juggle because he was trying to show the jurors that he was just clowning around when he allegedly tried to rob a convenience store. A Springfield judge, Orlando Melendez's request uh, uh, to juggle for jurors denied the request when he when the case went to trial. He claimed in his written motion that he is a real clown. And his wife, by the way, totally agreed. He's Absolutely. a total – this guy is a clown. <laughs> Melendez pleaded not guilty, uh, not guilty to charges that he used a toy gun to try to rob a convenience store in December. Hmm. Like does he really think this is going to be – this is going to win the case? Hey, I'm really just a clown. That was a toy gun. I, it's a little thing I do. It's it's a game called put your hands in the air 
ha ha, give me your money. Give me all your money, yeah. and I won't bust a, a cap. Ha ha. <laughs> It could have been a cap gun. It could have been a cap gun. The 20-year-old man who's representing himself, ah, that explains it, Uh, by the way, because all the attorneys were in D.C. Yeah. Uh, The 20-year-old man is representing himself, asked uh, the judge to to give three wads of paper for 20 seconds Hmm. just to show the jurors that he can juggle, which you know if you can juggle three wads of paper, you – that's the international – sign that you are a clown. Right. Which could get you off of any crime where you were just clowning around. Armed robbery with a toy gun. I mean it wasn't even a real gun. Right. Like if I was gonna if I was gonna really rob something, don't you think I'd use a real gun? So was it an attempted robbery or did he successfully rob a convenience store well, with a toy gun? Because I think that's a more interesting story. I think they're calling it an armed robbery. So he successfully so how did they find out that it was a toy if he didn't have to use it? Well, I think they arrested him. Oh. With and then they find the out. Squirt, with the with real guns? Gun or whatever okay. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think the big giveaway is that no one was laughing. Mm. So the clown, you've, if we've said this once, we've said it a thousand times on the show. You've got to know your audience. So if you're <laughs> robbing a bank and no one's laughing, if you're laughing alone, no one's laughing with you, mm. maybe you're not a good clown. Maybe you need to back your game down. I Maybe. think that's how the Dark Knight started. Yeah, in some ways. Is that is that why he got an, he had a little outfit and then he's then it got ugly and then yeah yeah this is a cautionary tale. It really is. Yeah. Know your audience, folks. Um, deep down, from the bottom of my heart, if you're going to try to entertain people, you got to entertain them in such a way that it doesn't seem like a felony. They need to be in on the fact that this is entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like when you pull like a, a meat cleaver like out of your back pocket and you scream at somebody and say, I'm going to cut your head off. Right. And then you're just like, just kidding. Yeah, that's not going to work. Not going to work. Hmm. But unless you can juggle. If you could juggle meat cleavers, that's a skill. No, that's a whole other skill. Yeah. I'm going to bet the judge won't let him juggle meat cleavers. No. Well, and that's the hard part about the whole defense is you don't even know if the judge is going to let you do it. Boy, it's complicated. That's why we bring you the news. See, this is the information you don't get out of any other show. Many shows would have just skipped over that story. Not us. We're here to help. We'll take a break when we come back. Making summer matter. That's what we're talking about next. How to, how to turn something, summer into something special for you and your family. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, Making Summer Matter. Welcome back, friends. In studio with us is Heather Johnson from FamilyVolley.com. Go check out that website, FamilyVolley.com. Heather uh, is a professor here at BYU and teaches um, really families how to, how to play together and how that helps them stay together. She has a self-published book, Family Fun Fridays, soon to be releasing Family Fun uh, Saturdays through Thursdays. 
It's I'll, a ton of stuff. It's true. It's on its way. We've been promising that for so know, long. You've got to start writing. I really am slacking. I don't know what you're doing every day. Um, three years, it's just I'm behind. <laughs> you're just trying to raise a family, keep a marriage working and work. Uh, so, Heather, you – so the kids come home from school now. There, There's no more school and now nothing but time. T- lots of time. It's kind of exhausting. It is. And it's a little bit scary, right? Moms totally. all over. And I shouldn't say moms. Parents all over the place are freaking out a little because yeah. we want our kids home because we love them. But as soon as they get there, we're like, really? Like, what What do we do now? Three yeah. months of what? what yeah. do, how are we going to make this healthy? And a lot of times you don't know what to do with your kids. So you think, well, we'll take two trips right? maybe and, and then run through the sprinklers. Right. And that's eight days okay. of three months. Yeah. And then you're like, shoot, and yeah. what are we going to do with You always start with the really good intentions, like all these goals, and everyone's going to read a book. Yep. And we're going to like chart it and graph it, and mm. we'll have incentives, and we'll catch up on chores, and we'll organize closets, and yeah. all those types of things. And by about 10 days in, you just really don't like each other. It's true. And technology really makes a huge presence yeah. in your You're like, you know what? Just go get the iPad, because I'm not sure what to do with you right now. <laughs> so how do we make this not happen? Well, and it gets really tricky, right? Because – and I – I kind of had this realization just this summer. I mean, I've I had plenty of summers. Our oldest son is almost 15. Yeah. And so we've had some summers before. I know what this feels like. But I was, interestingly enough, sitting next to him on the couch and a travel and tourism commercial came on television for another state, a neighboring state here in Utah. And it came on and it made the point that we only have 18 summers with our kids. Mm. Now, I can do math. It's yeah. not my, you know, forte, but you I can do it just fine, left. right? Maybe, maybe only two because of Holy where his birthday cow, falls right. and college and, you know, some service opportunities he might take right out of high school. And so all of a sudden it hit me. Oh, my gosh. First of all, I'm down to this oldest kid who's maybe got two more summers yeah. with us. And so as we start to think about this, we're going to get rid of some of the misnomers about what summer should look like. We're going to take some of that stress off and really look at how we're going to make summer count for our kids That's because cool. it's not so much what you do with them. It's really it's really the understanding behind why you're doing it. And so the very first thing we're going to do is we're going to start making summers novel. And this is what I mean. There's really great research that shows when our children are, or even adults are involved in activities, we need two different types. We need activities that pr- provide stability and security. And then we need activities that provide novelty and change. Mm, yeah. Now, the school year is fantastic for giving us a lot of stability and a yeah. lot of security. It's filled with a lot of routines, a lot of rituals that have some meaning behind it. And we're very just, you know, we're up the same time. We eat the same thing. We do the same things every single day. So summer is a perfect time to introduce novelty, something different, something new. And so we're going to put our focus on that. Summer should be about that. Let them be novel and different. Now, the first thought we have then is like, well, that sounds expensive and that sounds exhausting. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be. It's just simply doing it a different way. Have breakfast for dinner. That's Just shake it up a little bit so that your children start to understand that summer is filled with things that might not be in other places of the year yeah. because it's new and different. Change it up. And right? we have time, a little extra time maybe to do things. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. And, and, and it could be something fun like breakfast changing or it could be 
This is the time we put in the new sod in the backyard. It's, it's exactly right. It's exactly right. And we'll get to that. That's a challenge yeah. and their kids need those challenges. Right. But mix it up so that this becomes a novel, a change, something different. Hmm. Right. Otherwise, the stability and security, it actually is the most important part of any relationship, whether it's a marriage or in our family. That is the foundation and we build off of that. Yeah. So the school year and all those routines help us build that really solid foundation. And now summer is a time to put all the sweet stuff on top. And again, that's that's not meaning that it has to be expensive, that we've got to take these huge trips. It just means look in your own home, in your own backyard, in your own city or town, and look at the things that are different that can now be part of your family's life. That's Switch cool. Switch it up a little bit. Yeah. So once we've worked on the novel, the next thing we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we stop comparing and we're going to create our own story, our own excitement. Social media, I am convinced, just continues to ruin relationships Everywhere we turn. Yeah. It's marriages, it's families, it's everywhere. And especially with moms, it's really hard for us to make our own magic with our kids when we're constantly comparing it to what everybody else's lives look like. so true. And so, you know, as women, but also, you know, our our husbands as men, as they look at these summer experiences and they look at what everyone else is doing and they're taking these trips and they're spending this money and all these grand things. And, you know, there is a mom somewhere who has every single day scheduled. And, you know, Monday's a a water day and Tuesday's a library day and Wednesday's a... Wow. Man, I am tired even thinking about those feeds. Yeah. That's that's not how our family works and that's okay. Right. So we have to stop comparing and decide what is it that our kids need? Let's make our own magic, whatever that looks like. If we buy in and love our children through it, it will be their best experience. That's right. And they won't be worried about what the neighbors or the Joneses are doing either because they'll be so excited to spend time with us doing what we're doing. Well, I mean, I guess that's the point. If you have to – if you have to incentivize them to just go do something fun, you're probably not doing the right thing. It's exactly right. And it gets even deeper. You know, the huge problem with comparison like this is when we're so busy comparing to other people, it means we have no time and energy to actually see what our own children need right. and what our own family need, needs. If my mind and my energy and effort is always trying to compare to someone else, I don't – my brain's not big enough to then entertain, well, what is it that our 8-year-old does need the next three months? How is it that I can connect at a deeper level with the 15-year-old who's only going to be here for two mm-hmm. and a half more years? I don't have the brain power for that because no, I'm yeah. so busy it's in so other real. places. I always feel like every summer for about a month, I feel like we need to buy a boat. <laughs> <laughs> and then my husband echoes that same thing. He's like, "We we have to go get something for the water. We need a boat. Everyone, Everyone's got a boat. Yeah, and they seem so happy. They. <laughs> but then you don't. What you don't see is them fighting when they get in at the end of the night and they have to wash this boat. Oh and, yeah, and unload it all and pack uh-huh. it. Up. And the or trick- holding the boat off the rocks because it ran out of gas or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the funny thing is we think that the boat is what makes them happy yep. or what will make us happy. But it's just like you're saying. When we start comparing because we see other boats being towed down our street yep. at 9 a.m. headed out to the lake. Happy families. It's exactly right. But we don't realize that boat doesn't make anybody happy. No, they could be fighting the whole way right? there. <laughs> and I can be just as happy in the back on the trampoline. Yeah. And our kids will be too because really their kids are going to be happy on a boat because they're with them. They're together. They're making so memories. True. So make your own memories. Make your own magic. Stop worrying about what everyone's doing. So you have the energy to put towards what your family needs mm-hmm. to do and what your family needs. Why not? Yeah. So you can see Make that. your own – make it your own plan. Yeah. And it's funny because we go through this where it's like, but I'm planning all these things in the best interest of my kids. 
Well, if you are, then that's fantastic. But most of the time when we really analyze, we're actually planning all these things because we want to look a certain way. Yeah. And we want the neighbors to see us a certain way. And we want everyone to say, you're an amazing parent during the summer at this. Right. Instead of, OK, this is really what they need. They're really doing it just for the tan. It's, ex- <laughs> it's exactly. Right. The boat is really just for like the tan. You don't even like boats. You just want to be able to lay out. <laughs> you just like the tan. Right. Yeah. You know white will look better on you all <laughs> Have summer. Have you been on a boat? <laughs> <laughs> They're not that fun. Isn't the saying my dad always used to say, his dad always used to say whose dad so generous. It's handed down. Yeah, the the best day in a boat owner's life, the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Exactly. <laughs> and then there's those that just love it and they're good at it. They are. But, I mean, that's a that's they really I think they're few and far between. It is. Yeah, it's few and far between. And I think that's funny that you say that that really for about 30 days you feel like oh, we must we got to go get this. Yeah. Like, this is what makes us And then when right. they're all, when they're all winterizing their boat yeah. <laughs> and putting it away for whatever hundreds of dollars oh, a yeah. month, I'm thinking I'm so glad we don't have a boat. <laughs> because in Utah you can really yeah. only use it for about 3 that's months right. anyway. That's crazy. <laughs> Give us one okay. more and then we'll take a break. Okay, so the next thing we're going to do is we're going to know our children's summer love language. Cool. Right? Now we've heard this term before about a love language in lots of different ways, looked at different ways, different philosophies. But really, each of our children has a, a perspective of what summer will look like. Mm-hmm. We've got to figure out what that is so that we can meet those needs. So, for example, our son is very, very busy between high school and water polo and swimming and you know church responsibilities all day, every day of the school year. Summer to him is about chilling out. He wants less on his plate. He wants to relax. He wants to make more of his – he makes his own decisions, but his own decisions where it's like if I want to sit for two hours – I kind of just want to lay out here on the grass for two hours. He needs some of that space. That is what he expects of summer. Our daughter is very different. She just graduated from sixth grade, so she's going into junior high school. Summer for her needs to be packed full. Mm. Not necessarily money spent vacations, but she wants to do all the things that the school year doesn't necessarily allow because of time or energy or juggling. And so she sees summer really different. So if I don't allow our son to take a break a little bit and choose some more of that relaxation, and if I don't help her find ways to spread her wings and run her legs a lot, they both go back to school in the fall really dissatisfied with what the last three months looked like. And so if you can get down to what your children's summer love language looks like, we can attend to those needs. And this, again, is where we have to recognize what's most important to them, what looks good for them, what's their magic, and then help make it. Yeah. That way they do go back to school thinking summer was awesome because it was that change I needed back Mm -hmm. to the novelty that filled me in a way that summer should so they can go back to that it's monotonous it's just like we're it you know we we make the best of it but it still is the same thing every day that gets old and summer should be different totally and it's and it's got to be different their way their way not our way right because i know what summer would look like for me (laughs) yeah same as the rest of the nine months (laughs) right and 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 it would be very different than what they want it to look right, like. Right, exactly. And so it's yeah. not about us. It's really about them. I know. It's so hard to get that idea. <laughs> it's not about us. Okay, we'll take a break. Come back. More with Heather Johnson and uh, making summer matter to your family. Stick with us. Welcome back. Today we're talking with Heather Ann Johnson from FamilyVolley.com about making summer matter to your family. And she's teaching us you got to keep it novel. You got to figure out how your kids want to 
uh, want to make it interesting to them, find out their summer love, love, their summer language, um, so that the the activities are fun. I mean, in our family, we would say, "Let's go for a walk," and our kids are like, "What?" <laughs> but my wife's a walker, a hiker, and. Our kids, I don't think, are. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to drag them Force. out there. But, you know, if we had a boat. Right. It's all about the boat. It's all about the boat. If you would just buy that boat in those first 30 yeah. days, you'd be good. Or, well, or just you'd be make miserable. friends with someone that has a boat. Yeah. Why haven't you gone that route yet? We have. Oh, and, okay. <laughs> and it's, you know, in our church group, we can always like they do little fundraisers and you could buy a boat trip with somebody oh, yeah, that yeah. has a boat. So sure. we always just buy a boat trip. Sure. And then see you feel good because you yeah. donated money yeah. to a good cause right. and you get the boat. And you get the boat. For and one Saturday, which is about all you probably want. It's all you can take. <laughs> then you're all sunburned. Then then your kids are satisfied. We had a boat. Remember? <laughs> exactly Every summer right. we had a Don't boat. Don't tell me we never had a boat. <laughs> I bought a boat almost. <laughs> Talk about uh, what else we can do to make summer matter. So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to let things flow. Now, we can look at this a lot of ways, but flow is a concept that helps us understand why challenge is important in our lives. And so flow is really the way we describe what's called an optimal experience. Yeah. Uh, a researcher, Chexima High, did this, has been doing this for years and has really shown that flow is really valuable in our lives. We need it. We need our activities to provide us. You know, in sports, we call it being in the zone. Mm-hmm. This is where you forget about time. You don't recognize anything around you because it's all about the challenge and overcoming and how good that feels. Right. Now, imagine if we can start introducing flow to our children during the summer and helping them have these optimal experiences. Optimal experiences then are things that create memories. They're things that create uh, a feeling of strength, ability to overcome, all things that we can take back into the routine and regularity of the school year that make us stronger. Hmm. Yeah. So summer's a really great time for flow activities. Now, the way they work is you want to provide something that gives a challenge slightly greater than a skill. And we think of this and immediately lots of people think, well, does that mean it has to be sports? My kid doesn't like it. Does that mean it has to be music? My kid doesn't want to play right. anything. But it doesn't. This could be in work. This could be in play. This could be in conversations. This can be in board. This can be in anything Solving you want. a problem. It's exactly right. To just simply put a challenge slightly greater than the skill. And then the growth comes in having to develop the skills that you need to overcome the challenge. And as we grow, we then actually get bored and look for greater challenges. Mm-hmm. Now, as we look for greater challenges, we obviously lack the skill. And so we work to have the skill to overcome the new Keep challenge. Keep picking it up. And it just keeps going. And so flow leads to a great deal of growth and development for our kids. So if we can put challenges in front of them, and like you mentioned, these challenges can be laying sod. Yeah. And it could be how fast can you get it done? And everybody's racing with their own strip. Uh, flow for our two oldest kids this year, we have some pillars in front of our house that need repainted. But before they can be repainted, they have to be scraped clean. Yeah. And so it's going to be a challenge. They don't know how to do that. They've never done it before. But as they start to learn and develop the skill they need to do it the most efficient way they can, and then they get to paint it, we're not paying them. It doesn't mean we're going to, you know, magic mount. We're not right. – they're doing it because it needs to be done. But we're also doing it as a challenge that they get to rise up to and learn skills for. So we'll start to see that a lot of these challenges we place in front of our kids, they're actually the things that get them through the rest of their lives when things are hard. Right. We rely on flow experiences to say, man, I can't do this right now, but I've done something hard in the past and overcome that challenge. So certainly I can figure out how to overcome this new challenge. That's cool. And if that's not describing what – New Year's in school, 
college yeah. relationships. If life. that's not describing life, there's really nothing that does. That's a really good way to look at it. So provide them with challenges. They will not wake up in the summer or any other day and go, man, I hope today's hard. Mother, challenge yeah, me. I really hope, you know, the world just puts it to me today. Make it right. hard. It won't. And so we have to put those things in front of our kids, obviously in the right way with their abilities, but we need and to the, do that. And they'll hate it. They will. That what's cool about flow and the psychology of optimal experience is it doesn't matter if you like it. It's exactly it right. It works whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not, you can still have that optimal experience. And a lot of this with our kids is going to come with how we handle it. You know, if we're speaking ill of challenge, they're going to think it's crappy. Right. And if we go in and watch TV with popcorn while they're out scrubbing those poles in the paint clean, they're going to think it's miserable. Yeah. But if we're with them, if we're communicating with them, if we're speaking positively of an opportunity to overcome and learn new things, they will think the same thing. Now, they're going to become adults and then have to go do those same polls and be like, geez, yeah. mom always had a good attitude about this, but this is kind of lame. But that's the reality of life. Right. And we've got to get them to that point so they can then make those own decisions that's by good. themselves. Good stuff. So we're going to let things flow. The next thing, we often wonder why our kids start to go crazy in the summer. You know, parents are saying, especially moms, it's like, I don't know, she's such a good kid during the school year and summer she just is a mess and she's miserable to be around and she's ornery. Well, summer immediately hits and we tank all our schedules. And we can't. We've got to keep some sort of schedule in the summer. Right. So, yes, we need to have the freedom of things changing and ebb and flow and all of that and novel and change. But we need to keep th- some things concrete. Bedtimes and wake-up times, if we can keep those kind of on a schedule, it helps our lives a yeah. lot. That and meal times. If if we're keeping true to kind of those basic needs to our kids, they won't have meltdowns the same way. You know, we, yeah. we all of a sudden start hauling our five-year-old around or our two-year-old around and think – why are you crying all day? We've been at the zoo and we went to the library and they're just like, because no one gives me right. a nap anymore, right? Yeah. And I didn't eat till 11 because we went and got fancy donut. We got to stick to those routines. If you'll do that, you'll notice that their temperament will be something that can handle the novel. Yeah. Plus, when we go back to school, everything is so much more smooth when we haven't deviated so far. You know, if bedtime is two and a half hours different every summer <laughs> – Right, you'll pay for it. We're going to pay for it. And so, again, it doesn't have to be so dramatic. Rain it in a little bit. Keep schedules where it's appropriate. Obviously, 4th of July, you're going to be up later. But that doesn't mean that the 5th and 6th, we can't have more normal routines. Right, exactly. And and they're going to stretch it because their friends want to stay out later. But It's true. But, I mean, you can still say, no, we're different. Or, like, my kids came home last night, I think, at 11, which was their weekend curfew normally. And then they just all want to be on their phones. Right, right. Or this morning the sun comes up and you're like, is there a reason why at 11 we're all still in bed? That's right. (laughs) Well, of course, because they still need the hours of sleep they need. And so it really just sets us back. And again, when school starts, there's no getting up at 11 a.m. and there's no going to bed at midnight. And so, again, yes, we need to have the change. But if we can bring it in so it's not so dramatic, it helps us a lot. Great advice. Heather Ann Johnson's her name. Hadge, we call her. And uh, again, go to familyvolley.com where you can get more information and her book and all of her latest uh, and greatest writings and also appearances. Good stuff, folks. Summer matters and your family matters. So what if we could mix them together and make something special? We'll take a break, come back, and uh, talk to two guys that have made themselves pretty special. Uh, the guys from BYU Sports Nation up next. Stick with us. It's time, folks. We are about 12 minutes away, 11 and a half minutes away from uh, 
from Takeoff Time with BYU Sports Nation. And so we're going to throw it down to our good buddies, Spencer and Jerem, the hosts of BYU Sports Nation, to find out uh, what's coming up on their show. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matthew. How you doing? I'm tired, man. Are you, I'm tired, too. Yeah. This, this, uh, this championship's just exhausting me. All this play, all this work. It's about to get super boring and empty, so... I know. It's going it. it's going to empty out. Hey, I uh, I'm thinking of giving you guys a present. It, and it has something to do with the the Cleveland Cavaliers, but I'm wondering if you Hopefully. could do me a favor. A can bro? you can you both capture some lint from your dryer vent? As much lint Lint James. I know where you're going with this, Matt. Lint Braun James. Yeah. So this woman made a uh, named Sandy Buffy, by the way, also known as the Lint Lady. She made a sculpture of LeBron James and his beautiful bust, his head. <laughs> Spencer showed this to me yesterday. 30 Make, pounds of lint. 30 pounds of lint. See, the problem is I've only got like a quarter of a pound. So I need more lint. I just don't know where you get your lint. A quarter of a pound's uh, quite a gathering. It is. It's a is lot of lint. all from your belly button? Yeah. Wow. How did you know that? The gathering of lint root. <laughs> yeah. My last name is Lint on. Oh, that's true. Lint on. So, so your like. your great 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 grandfather must have been a lint. Uh, um, what do we call him? A lint artist. Something like that. A l- hmm. lartist. A lartist. You know, that's a whole different thing. Uh, so, um, what do you think about the game last night? I thought it was fantastic. Great game. The parts uh, that I could watch while I was cleaning my entire house because whenever. Hey, whenever somebody important comes over, that's when we really clean the house. Uh, right? Are the in-laws coming? Uh, my wife's longtime friend, cousin, best friend is coming into town from Oklahoma City. And so it's like, hey, let's uh, dust anything and everything and yeah. clean everything again and do it again and twice. And that's good. Over and yeah. Yeah. You sound like you had a great time. Sounds like a really super good time. And is that why you're so tired? Oh, I love cleaning toilets after midnight, don't you? No. Oh. I usually you don't am, always clean toilets, but when you do, it's after midnight. It's after midnight. After midnight. It's, <laughs> it sounds like a really bad commercial. Yeah, Linton House After Dark. Is, Linton um, Cleaning Specialist. So that's interesting. So it sounds like, and let me just turn into a little bit of a therapist here. It sounds like you're a little frustrated, and now when your wife's sister, friend, aunt, lady comes to visit, uh, cousin, best friend, it, that maybe there's going to be some animosity there. Well, I don't think there will be animosity. Like, I, no, like I, when she I uses the restroom that you clean. why it's like, we have to do everything yeah. so that the minute she walks in, it looks pristine, and then it's just going to get destroyed anyway by her and her kids. Exactly. <laughs> oh, she's bringing the kids, too? This is getting ugly. <laughs> Spencer and I are going to be at the office longer. I can uh, already feel it. <laughs> yeah. You guys are going to have a late <laughs> night tonight. What are you doing today? Because I'm going to be here longer than normal. Well, I'm sorry that you, you uh, have... Social relationships with people. Oh, goodness. <laughs> no, <Matt. laughs> no, I get it. This is why, let me just teach you something. You should have learned it earlier in your marriage. What you do is you become such a such a horrible slob of a husband that your wife would never dare invite friends over. I can't do it. <sighs> I'm a very clean, organized person by nature. I know. And so, so now you're cleaning all Most night. of the time our house is just pretty clean anyway. You want, you want to fix this? Let me. You want me to let you in on the secret? So when your sister, your wife's friend, is there, uh-huh. and and her kids, and they're all just gathered around watching, you know, celebrity whatever, walk out in your underwear, 
and just grab yourself a beverage. Whoa. I, just, I thought that was going somewhere. No, no, no. And just sit down on the couch and just drink your beverage and talk to them. And I promise you, they won't be there the next day. It's pretty simple. Best advice you've ever given. I'm telling you, man. It's a little passive aggressive, but it beats having to clean. Man. You do have to be a little embarrassed because you got to walk out in your undies. See, I'm okay with cleaning. It just is yeah. like this accelerated, stressful period yeah. at the last minute. And it's like, it's going to be okay if a little bit of laundry isn't folded or if those baseboards aren't dusted. Wow. It'll be okay. Is Boy, this is like a visit from the DCFS. <laughs> I feel like we're trying to pass a cleaning check. Yeah. Maybe she'll maybe she'll maybe she'll wear a white glove and check the baseboards. <laughs> anyway, so sorry. We wish you the best of luck. And I, we know it'll be fun because your wife's awesome. So it'll be great. And you, we know you're not complaining. You just are a little overwhelmed that we had to clean on an off day. Well, and here's the thing. If it hadn't affected my viewing of the game three of the NBA finals, yes. I probably wouldn't be bothered at all. Right. Because you're clean. But I wanted to watch that game. You know what? It was great, but you know what? Not as great as your marriage will be. Truth. Someday. Fine, you win. Okay. Anything else going on your show, guys, that's not therapy-based? Yes, yeah, therapy-based. You know how uh, (laughs) the proverbial second place stinks? Yes. Use another word in that instance. Uh Uh-huh. We're going to tell you why that doesn't always resonate especially with what one byu athlete did last night in tracktown usa unbelievable 32 years in the making type of performance cool okay discuss what's the best runner-up finish in byu history yes in the spirit of awesome by the way lebron james may lose the tournament but he still won the lintbron statue that's that's right. Winning off the field, at least. Right. Plus, Bill Connolly, he uh, writes for SB Nation, national college football writer. He has a lot to say about Utah's biggest game being BYU. Uh, he's trying to become the commissioner of college football. He's a fun guy to talk to. He'll join us. Plus, Roy Linkletter, the aforementioned 10,000 meters second place finisher, coming up uh, from Eugene, Oregon. He will join us. Ah, Plus, cool. a little big deal, no deal. Guess who got a major league promotion, Matt? Um, you. Nope, it wasn't me. But it was somebody that we have discussed quite often on this show, as a matter of fact. Got BYU a, baseball player a, back a, in the majors. This is the fourth guy in the last 20 years from BYU baseball. So it's a big deal. That is a huge deal. Okay, that's all on the show. Straight ahead, four and a half minutes. Yeah, baby. Okay, guys, it. go wax on and wax off. And uh, Spencer, take a break later tonight. Take it on me. Good luck to both of you. That's uh, coming up in four and a half minutes, BYU Sports Nation. Uh, Back to some empty news for you. Talk about a bad neighbor. Check this guy out. A Florida woman wants to know why someone unplugged a bounce house, causing it to deflate with nearly a dozen young children inside during her daughter's first birthday party. So you've got a dozen little kids bouncing around in a big inflatable uh, bounce house and somebody unplugs the thing. Two children suffered minor injuries after they were briefly trapped under the heavy plastic. I mean, those things weigh a ton uh, during the May 21st party in the backyard of a home. Um, and the home surveillance video shows an older man briefly standing at the fence looking at the partygoers before unplugging a cord from an electric outlet on the side of the home. Home surveillance video sounds excessive. 
mm-hmm. until you have neighbors that will unplug your bounce house. Anytime we put a bounce house up in our yard, we turn on our surveillance cameras. Exactly. Because you never know when that ornery curmudgeon neighbor is going to uh, turn off the party. And something tells me your neighbors might also have home surveillance yeah. videos. You know what's weird? For All their neighbor. Every, in fact, we never had surveillance, but every one of my neighbors around my house had surveillance cameras. Uh-huh. Weird. That's a weird thing. I've never thought of that. So strange. Weird coincidence. Um, the police actually canvassed the area, but they couldn't identify the man in the video. But so what if you know that there's an, uh, an older man that lives next to you and you think it's him, but the police couldn't prove it? So now the rest of your life, you're going to wonder. And unplug his bounce houses. See, or, mm. yeah, like one night when he's on his CPAP machine breathing for him <laughs> at night, you're going to sneak in and just, and the guy's going to have a really bad night's sleep. Oh, I'm not saying to do that. I'm just saying that's, Never. What, that's what a bad neighbor would do. But we want you to be good neighbors. So uh, watch out for that one. Also, by the way, if you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, be careful. If you accidentally drive your car into a newly poured concrete slab and you become stuck, you may get a $10,000 bill for that. See, I've heard of putting your handprints in the wet cement, but never my car print. Your car print. It's hard to put a car print in there. Mm. What is that? Oh, that's my bumper. The accident occurred Wednesday on a portion of a road repair project in the state capitol. The police spokesman said the police won't cite the driver, 19-year-old Shadrach Yesaya. Police incident report says it, was, uh, it, it wasn't obvious that the concrete wasn't dry, and Yesaya drove into it through a 24-foot gap between traffic cones. The city engineer says the driver is responsible for the repairs, however. Aww. He says the contractor estimated it will cost more than $10,000 to pay for removing the car. Scraping out the ruined slurry, repouring more, and finishing it. Poor kid. But he's lucky he's going to get his car. That's scary. Uh, a hero story for you as we wrap up the show. A man jumps into a moving car to save a, drov- a driver that's having a seizure. Authorities have held a northern Illinois man as a hero after he jumped through the open window of a moving car to save the driver who was experiencing a seizure. Randy Tompkins of Dixon was driving his truck Friday afternoon when he spotted the car driving in the wrong lane headed right at him. He jumped from his truck and through the passenger window of the slowly moving car. He put two fingers into the convulsing driver's mouth to prevent him from swallowing his tongue. The incident was captured by a police dash cam. Police praised the 39-year-old Tompkins as a hero for coming to the aid of a complete stranger, and they haven't released the name of the driver who was taken to the hospital. Uh, Anyway, Dixon's about 100 miles west of Chicago. So congrats to him. Hero of the day, Randy Tompkins. We we all need a hero once in a while, and uh, today, maybe go out there. See if you can be a hero for someone else. If not, just... Just be a good citizen. We'll be back again tomorrow. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, make it a great one. BYU Sports Nation up next.